Hello everyone and welcome to a very special episode of the TRB Inlap. And I say very special because we've got two, actually three reasons. The first of it is, well, it's the obvious thing. It's the Le Mans 24 week and this is our uh, official TRB Le Mans 24 preview show. Uh, the second is that this is the first TRB Inlap episode that previews a race. So potentially we should make it the the outlap episode or the uh, the warm-up lap the warm-up lap episode or the the uh, the driver parade lap episode or something i don't know and last but not least third point definitely not the least and most important point is it's the first episode where we'll be hosting a special guest on the podcast so stay tuned uh, later on and we'll be inviting them in to have a chat all things le mans 24 hours but of course I'm Tim Fulbright, the man behind TRB, and I'm joined once again by my podcast pal, sports car solicitor, and Le Mans-loving lanky lad, Michael Happenden, and welcome to episode number seven. It seems weird that we're on number seven already, but I suppose it's previewing the biggest race of all, so we should be happy to be back. I mean, how can I not be happy with an intro like that, mate? Incredible stuff. Great alliteration, by the way. Our English teacher from a decade ago would be very proud. I'm giddy with excitement. The more I think about it, the more excited I get. Just that exponential feeling of like, Le Mans this weekend, Le Mans this weekend, Le Mans this weekend, something bad happens, Le Mans this weekend. Yeah. That's fine. It's very this happy. it's this overriding factor of anything that's happening. It's like this week is this week for a reason. And it doesn't matter, you know, anything else that seems to be going on. It's like it's fine. It's Le Mans at the weekend, you know, <laughs> and we have that in We Swayze. literally look forward to this event all year, every year, every day yeah. of our lives. We probably watch at least one Le Mans on board or highlights <laughs> or just the full race replay on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, so this is pretty much the weekend we exist for. So I'm and, excited to preview this one. And as we're learning from the episode so far with the TRB in that podcast uh, presented by Racing Edge, that, uh, there are a lot of like-minded people have. So I don't feel like we're the only ones who will be doing that, who there probably are people out there at the moment watching back last year's Le Mans in preparation, my name added to that list. So yes, preview edition here for the 89th Le Mans 24 hours. We're going to be running through the entry list, not entry by entry, car by car, but some key stories from the classes as is usual on the in-lap podcast uh, and like i say stay tuned because we have a, a special guest later on who's going to be giving us an exclusive look at the porsche entries into this year's race but of course the in lap podcast is sponsored by or presented by racing edge it's great to have these guys on board and uh, racing edge is a uh, platform where Owners of race cars, road cars, any kind of cars can sell them online to people and get to people, you know, get to people who are committed to buying, selling cars, not waste your time on other websites where you don't know who's looking and you can spend ages waiting for a purchase. And we like to challenge ourselves for a theme of the podcast and, and pick a car from the Racing Edge paddock, which aligns with that theme. And themed this week we, we decided to let ourselves be a bit naughty didn't we have because normally we try and pick something that might just you know put your interest into having a look at the website maybe something that someone out there might part with the cash to buy but we decided that this time we're going to go all out uh, Le Mans special edition 
any Le Mans race car on the uh, Racing Edge paddock. So I can't remember who went first last time, but uh, I feel like I'm going to go first this time. And uh, I think as soon as I say this, there's going to be a wave of nodding, both from half and from the people listening at this time. I've picked a 2000 Chrysler Viper GTSR from Team Orica. And there is a nod. <laughs> There's a very heavy nod from half. Uh, it is an X-Works car as well. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I even need to say anything now about this car. As I'm sure you're all aware, the Viper is an iconic shape in GT racing, then factor in. Orica and, and these cars at Le Mans, 620 horsepower engine, uh, a V10 that just sounds a dream. Uh, obviously appearing in 2000, that kind of really exciting era where you've got these kind of strange and wonderful wacky GT cars coming over from ALMS to racing at Le Mans. And of course, the involvement with Orica is really interesting as well. So yeah, that's my pick for today. Uh, don't really want to say anything more about it because what can i say that that's it chrysler viper half your pick i mean first of all great choice very very strong choice but i like to think i have an equally strong choice mm. slightly perhaps uh, maybe less iconic in, in in terms of recognizable le mans entries but to me it's that kind of perfect niche kind of era where it really, really gets me going. And I know you'll also be doing a, a collective nod mm -hmm. um, as well as the listeners when you hear I've chosen the 2005 MG Lola LMP2 class winner at that the next year's race, 2006, and the uh, Le Mans series winner from 2007, driven by Andy Wallace to that class victory as well. So has a lot of quality driver uh star pedigree as well as just being a really iconic drive notoriously a, an, a, an amazing handling car um as well as just a striking car to look at so low and sleek and i just think what's not to love about an open cockpit prototype and if we're doing our hypothetical scenario that we get to do a few laps in them like we do with every race and edge kind yeah. of choices the choices that we do each podcast then the sensation of speed down the Mulsanne with the wind being thrown in your face basically yeah. would, would be pretty incredible. And also, like I said, really, really notoriously well handling car. So I don't feel like it's something I would, there's less, less opportunity for me to bin it is basically what I'm trying to say, <laughs> trying to say yeah. as well as just thinking what a car with race class winning pedigree and championship winning pedigree. So well, that, that's two very strong choices. We have been a bit naughty this week, but yeah. And I feel like I need to strengthen this because I uh, glossed over my notes in, in excitement of actually looking at a picture of this car. But this, the 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 chassis that is for sale on the Racing Edge website, this Chrysler Viper, is the uh, 2000 class winner, um, driven by Carl Wendinger, Olivia Beretta, and Dominic Dupi in the number 51 car team viper orica's third straight class victory so just throwing that one in there as well for those who want to pick which one's best but 
Yeah, I mean, me the next time a, a car, a GT class winning car at Le Mans, which won at the turn of a millennium, is going to be in a, in a thousand years' time, mate. So, like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> like, why right. why have you not bought it yet? Yeah. And why, have you not, why have you not offered me and Tim are going it yet? The scary thing is, you know, I know we all like like to just indulge in going on websites that sell cars and race cars. The ones that really scare me are when they've got POA next to them because <laughs> you know it's really valuable and it's just like, oh, that that is it. That is the one. But yes, those are our picks then from the Racing Edge paddock. And let us know what you would pick. Head over to racingedge.com forward slash paddock and check out the cars for sale. And actually, why not let us know which one you'd pick, whether you would pick uh, Haas, Lola, LMP2 or my uh, Chrysler Viper and uh, of course if you are in the market for a race track or road car then head over to racingedge.com so as is the usual format then for the TRB in lap we like to go class by class this time though instead of starting at the bottom of the ladder we're going to start at the top dive in I suppose it's the deep end. It's the it's the top of the deep end, if that makes sense, because it is a deep roster of cars on the entry list this year. A whacking great 62 cars we'll be taking to uh, open practice on Wednesday. And we're going to start with the hypercar class, the category that has pretty much dominated conversation in 2021, being new and being with new cars and new car problems and old car problems if you're Alpine and as we go through though as we go through these four classes we're going to pick who we think is going to win from each class so half let's actually start off the first class with who do you think is going to win Le Mans 2021 overall uh I'm going to be a bit out there straight away Toyota are the favorites but they're not going to win Alpine are going to win <laughs> okay <laughs> right okay i do i do have my hands on the end the sort of shrugging yeah. gesture right I, now so you can see it's slightly tongue-in-cheek but i, do, I don't want to look toyota are going for their fourth win now which is a remarkable thing to be able to say considering it still feels like yesterday that somehow they still hadn't won them on and they've won the first three races of the wc season so obviously they're favorites but alpine are the only ones of a proven package albeit a hamstrung package massively in terms of a fuel disadvantage, but it's still a bit of an open question as to how much that will actually affect them. Could it rain in the race? Could there be issues like we saw for the race-winning Porsche in 2017 where they're in the box for, for many, many laps, for half an hour, for an hour, for an hour and a half? Could we have issues where Toyota stop out on track, like at Monza? So, yes, it's going to be hamstrung by this fuel disadvantage but it's the only car in the field which is a proven package or as close to a proven package as you can get we won't get into that um so i'm just going to go with that a bit of a bold prediction but who wants to play it safe come on what what are you going for me well it's really interesting you say that because your points you make there about the alpine fuel problem so for those who are maybe new to the wec or looking watching Le Mans for the first time the number 36 Alpine 
is a car from an era that's finished. So it would be like racing a V8 F1 car in the turbo hybrid era. It's an, an old car built to different regulations. And as such, it can't quite run the fuel stints that the new hypercars run. So it's already at disadvantage to the extent of over the course of the Le Mans 24 hours, it should have to make four more pit stops which is a lot of time lost in pit lane. It's, it's over a lap, basically, lap and a half disadvantage before we've even got started. I find it really interesting that, you know, the example you gave there of the 2017 Porsche, the number two car spent ages in the box, dropped down to the last place, was however many laps down. The difference in that race is that its attempts to catch up were against P2 cars when the gap between the classes was bigger. Now, if we were to carry that across and your point of if Toyota or Glickenhaus, the new hypercars have new car problems at Le Mans, which wouldn't be unexpected, the Alpine is still quick. And the Alpine is very much on the pace. And historically, I suppose, we know it can go a lot faster. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not actually being driven as quick as this car could actually go. Okay, you could say the same about the hypercars, and we've heard Glickenhaus say, you know, we could pump out so many more horsepowers from this engine, blah, blah, blah. But the actual Alpine car that is an ex-Rebellion R13 LMP1 car has got weight added, it's got power taken off. That car is, okay, it's being driven hard, but for want of a better word, it's kind of cruising almost in terms of you know all the the little bits and bobs at Le Mans that often get rattled a bit too hard or pushed and strained and too hot or too cold you know that kind of thing this car is more than capable of dealing with the stresses it's going to be put under this this year so I find your choice fascinating and what, what a way to start our <laughs> conversation we love bold claims we love big bold claims I and only, only I say, said it so that you can just clip it up if it does actually happen. I'll seem like okay. a genius, like you did for Spa with the Rover Racing Porsche last year. And, and you're like, called it. <laughs> flip side, if it doesn't happen and they're out after a lap, I will also use it. So, yeah, but I mean, uh, that's the risk I'm willing to take. That's a very good point, though, isn't it? We've How many times have we said before when Toyota were having various issues, crashes, mechanical woes, whatever it was that was stumping their charge whenever they seemed nailed on victory something would happen and we were like what if they had a third car so my point is i'm i'm aware of the risk of running one car that alpine have and it is outnumbered both both toyota and glickenhaus have two cars saying that the entry is is very small for the top class we're not used to seeing it this small so it's not like it's got into the double figures of of competitors it's just the four other cars which sounds doesn't sound i know that sounds like i'm understating it but when you compare to the strength in depth of gtm for example of lmp2 for example um i really think like this and any car could win mm. in hypercar which is why it's interesting because toyota obviously favorites glickenhaus had a massively encouraging round at monza where it kind of transformed the feeling, I think, for the, for that team and for anyone watching, from Portimao, where it was like, mm, yeah, there's a long way to go here. And then they bring two cars to Monza, and yes, one had issues, but the other one showed what 
the potential of that car with a clean run. And yes, they had braking issues. And yes, they had teething issues on the new chassis. Toyota also had massive issues, which could have cost them the race. Very nearly did cost them yeah. the race. And who was there to pick up the pieces? Glickenhaus and Alpine at yeah, the time. Yeah. And then, so anything could happen. And it's, I think it's going to be, I know it's almost a bit of a cliche to say, it's going to be quite an old school style Le Mans in, in the top class. Have you got literally, that written down? I've literally written that down. I have written, <laughs> I quote, first race in a while where old school tactics will prevail. <laughs> yes. Word like for word written that down. Go on and elaborate on my point before I start rambling about Le Mans 1973 or something. <laughs> well, it, Le Mans and endurance racing in eras gone by used to be at about getting to the checkered flag. It used to be about getting to the end. If you built a car that would last the trials of 24-hour racing, you would be within a very good shot of winning and spraying the champagne on Sunday afternoon. Come to 2010, and then really I would say 2011 was when this happened. We, we got what I've termed and been calling for a while, this sprint stint style of racing where every stint is a sprint race, whether it's 45 minutes for prototypes, 50 minutes prototypes, or it's an hour for the GT cars, you have to leave everything out there on the track because the cars are very capable of getting to the end with little mechanical issue you know we might see a brake change we might see it getting wheeled back into the garage for change of a headlight or something like that you know something might minor might go wrong but more often than not these cars are capable of having the living daylights beaten out of them for 24 hours straight so the pressure then moves from can the car get to the end to how fast the car can go over each of these stints now in recent years where Toyota have won, it's because the Toyota has been quicker on all of those stints. It's been reliable. It's just basically been faster than the other P1 cars. So there's no chance of it touching them. There's no chance of SMP or Rebellion getting close to winning. This year, though, with the way the cars are, new cars that have had problems, like you say, we've seen at Monza the seven just stopping out on track in the final hour of a six-hour race. Bear in mind, we've got four six-hour races stitched back-to-back. The Glickenhaus having the problem with brakes. Factor in the number eight Toyota as well had a painful race at Monza where everything that seemed to go wrong could, could have gone wrong. Exceptionally lucky not to be involved in a massive incident at turn one. I mean, you do not want to be chancing that on the run into one of the chicanes on the Molson. The, the perspective changes, the tactics change now from this sprint stint style of going flat out every stint to actually, do I need to care for the car a bit more? Do I need to avoid curbs? Do I need to take a second just to let the traffic sort itself out so I can make a move? Do I need to be wary of how the tyres are, how, you know, the, how the engine is? Is there a particular gear that I'm having problems with? All these kind of things that... For the last decade almost, we've ignored and it's been about driving as fast as possible in those stints. So now, like we say, this old school style of, you know, getting the car through the length of the race. My one flip side to that is I would say that Alpine don't have that option. Glickenhaus and Toyota need to manage issues. We heard after Monza, 
Kamui Kobayashi was quite vocal in saying, we've got a lot of work to do if we want to challenge at Le Mans. And that's coming from, you know, the manufacturer that's won the last three back-to-back. Alpine don't have that chance. They have to go flat out, in my opinion, in a car that, like you say, could very well go flat out for the entire race. So we have got this old school, you know, game being played by Toyota and Glickenhaus, who I'm sure they'll be saying they're driving as fast as they can, as hard as they can, they have to push, whatever. But I think I think we'll get points in the race where maybe we see the the drivers being soft to the cars a little bit and just nurturing them slightly. Yeah, I agree. I think Alpine have they tried the conservative strategy at Monza and didn't get close to Toyota whereas in the previous rounds they went aggressive at Spa they went aggressive and it paid dividends towards the end of kind of the second stint of the race they started to overlap in terms of strategy and yes that's probably because they're off sequence quite massively but at the same time it and you knew they were going to have to make an extra stop in both of those races at least one extra stop but they were challenging Toyota out on track and Toyota having to defend at Portimao a little bit, and it was getting a bit wheel-to-wheel and dicey. And to me, that's not, you know, oh, let's bring the car home. That's when if you're a racing driver and you're racing for the win at Le Mans, and let's be honest, all of these guys are very wary of the fact that we've just spoken about that, that this is a pretty damn good chance to win, considering the years that are coming up as well. We're going to have at least double the entry and probably not in in the harshest way treble the quality of in mm. terms of depth of drivers manufacturers entries teams running those manufacturer entries as well so they're all hyper aware they're hyper sorry <laughs> did you, uh, you did that deliberately you did that uh, no deliberately. i did not actually didn't um, <laughs> they're mm. all very aware very extremely good. aware that this is a great shot at winning so i i feel like that racing instinct will take over at points but yes like you say they, they know they're gonna have, at the same time on the flip side of that have to rein it in a little bit because you know four fifths of the field are racing with unproven packages and even alpine has got a task in its hand stepping up to the top class and racing a car that hasn't raced here yes it's pretty similar to the orico 07 they've been fielding in lmp2 but there will be new things for them to learn as well but I, I do agree with your point that I would probably rather be driving a car which has the I know has the potential to go very fast, but is being pegged back at the minute rather than the opposite of that. I just wanted to touch on Glickenhaus as well to, yeah. to move before we move on to another class. Because first of all, credit to them. It's going to be really great. And it was great to see the pictures from the test day and the footage from the test day. Full credit to them for getting two cars to Le Mans. That's a massive undertaking not something that's in any way easy to do even if you're a customer let alone if you're building a bespoke uh, entry yourself um two in my opinion very very strong lineups obviously got we've got durani pla and mayo in one of the cars briscoe westbrook and dumas in the other car so they're not going to be lacking pace or lacking experience or lacking support because the team are very popular and lots of those drivers are very popular as well. To me, as a fan, this week already feels like a bit of a relief now because I, well, we, we're all going to get to see what they can do now. All of the social media 
whatever you want to call it chatter as you're gesturing there yeah. <laughs> a little bit of chatter um it's probably a nice way of putting it it ends now that that doesn't matter they can they can tweet the free practice results where they're ahead of Toyota all they like it doesn't matter what matters after 24 hours now and I think it would be great for them if they can lead the race at points and if they can show that they've they're you know up there like they did at Monza and they're there to pick up the pieces then I think that's almost a win for them because you know they've they've come and they've built a car and fair play to them but yeah I'm just from my perspective I'm excited to now let another racing cliche let them do the talking on track and just ignore all of this hype and all of this build-up which is probably only become worse by the fact they topped the test day um i was gonna wave my notepad again because i i have actually written as well glickenhouse talk on track so (laughs) (laughs) painful but i completely agree look the jim glickenhouse has been so explicit in saying that we are here to win le mans i mean we we had a, a very long conversation about him not wanting to race at Bahrain or in Fuji because he's got no interest. You know, he wants to win Le Mans and it makes sense to do the European build-up races and race Le Mans. Now, if he he can't say, oh, we're here to do Le Mans after he's done Le Mans, (laughs) you know, it's that narrative can't continue. There will be a change of tone following this weekend. How that goes, we'll have to wait and see on 3 p.m sunday afternoon but i completely agree with you and it's almost a sense of like rebellion how they were in the last few years third place is the best we can do if we make the podium we've had a good race it's a win for us kind of thing and then the smp racing as well they were like you know i mean their their whole retraction from lmp1 was because they got third place at Le Mans, and they were like well that's as good as we can get so thanks for coming glickenhouse's job is to to make Toyota, the big dogs, sweat a bit and also to make Alpine, you know, as WEC contenders, pole sitters that Portimao, make them have a, you know, a tough time trying to match two hypercars as well. I am quite eager to see how they do. It's a massive event for them. This is pivotal into how this SCG 007 hypercar progresses from here on out. We've had the two warm-ups. We've had, you know, the the issues. We've had the tyre problems. We've had the brake issue. We've had the, you know, requests for clarification on rules left, right and centre. We've had all of that now. If this is the race that they say they can win, win it. Simple as. To conclude the hypercar category, my pick for the win, other end of the spectrum, Am I letting my emotions get the better of me in this one? Probably. I was going to say absolutely, but I, I, I pray and I pick the number seven Toyota to win overall. I respect that. Yeah, it would be long, long overdue. Conway, Kobayashi and Lopez. They are lap record holders in Kobayashi, the outright qualifying lap. Conway in uh, race lap records. The three of them have been so competitive at Le Mans for the last four years. They, in my opinion, have been the faster Toyota at every race since 2017 and including 2017. I, I honestly believe that that car, that team, that squad, D- 
deserve a win. And this year is the opportunity that I think they'll take. New car. They've definitely got their head around it more so now, especially after Monza. I feel like the team is so well-oiled in how they handled that, in how the team operate. There's no conflicting characters in the squad. There's no rebellious characters because that's another thing as well is that we've seen the team order issues between at Toyota. I don't know whether it's just TV direction plays to it now, but it's Buemi that often complains. And it's number it's normally Hartley and Buemi in the number eight car that maybe throw a comment about being held back or traffic or, you know, whatever, being asked to change positions. The number seven car just seems to get on with the race. And I think this year, like you say, the the talk from Glickenhaus, the threat from Alpine, the new car worries a team that just gets on with the nitty gritty of Le Mans without complaining, I think is going to come up trumps. So yeah, am I letting my emotions get the better of me? Absolutely. But I think 2021 is the year for the number seven crew. And I think that would be wholly deserved in every which way. So then let's move on to the LMP2 category, which is the, uh, the largest class in the 2021 Le Mans 24 hours, 25 entries in the second uh, category. And it's easy to see why. I mean, <laughs> LMP2 racing is and has been absolutely phenomenal the last few years. It's coming so close to winning overall in 2017. The Oracle 07 is probably one of the best sports cars of the last decade. Okay, argue about that one in the comments, but I'll back it, and I think half will as well. The LMP2 race is going to be fascinating on multiple aspects, not only because of the number of cars racing, the quality of cars racing. Got to remember here, it's not just the WEC regulars that are showing up. We've got a number of uh, additional teams from ELMS and ALMS uh, competing. And also the fact that these cars are still very quick. And okay, yes, there have been changes to the BOP, etc., but they are still not really that far off hypercar. And I still think traffic is going to be a problem come the race. But the LMP2 category, half your thoughts, because I I know we say every year about every class, but you've got to keep an eye on the LMP2 category. It'd be stupid not to. Yeah, I think it's just it's a weird one this year, isn't it? Because both of the essentially pro am categories are going to be the hardest to call. Um, huge entry for LMP2, and yeah, the lineups, the teams that have stepped up as well. Really, really excited to to see how WRT get on on their debut. Lots of you know flashes of promise throughout probably each of the the rounds leading up to Le Mans and potentially, well, arguably did throw away chance of class victory at Monza as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, there's, it's a mixture of, I'm really excited for, for the, for the battle up front. I'm really excited for the race, but I'm also really excited for little feel good stories like, uh, you know, the, the two Magnuson sharing the, the high class racing uh, number 49 car also really looking forward to seeing 
how Reese Competizione get on in, in an LMP2 car. So there's these little sprinkles of magic in there amongst the sort of hardened veterans of the class going up against the the new the new guys on the block, but also not to discredit WRT because we know they'll be strong and they've got a great driver lineup as well. And the thing with LMP2 as well is it is, yes, it, there's massive advantages to having experience at Le Mans in these cars, but also to an, to an extent, there's only one Ligier now. It is pretty much a spec series of Oricas. So as much as I don't want to say, you know, plug in and play kind of thing, but if there's a class that you want to, to be able to get up to speed quickly and probably be LMP2 because you're all in equal kind of machinery. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty interested to see the battle up front. For me, the, the teams I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be between Jota, G-Drive and WRT based on their lineups. You're nodding if you also well, got that written down. I wrote down three teams as well and we, we snapped on Jota, we snapped on WRT, but G... I was stuck between G drive. I put down United. Oh, United but, is four teams then. In and fact, United have a, three cars as well. They so. do. In fact, that's actually my pick for the win as well. So I don't know how I've <laughs> left that off the category. But I actually have two picks for the win. And I shouldn't Can have you said do that, that out loud. Is that because Pro Am? Are you being sneaky? <laughs> I'm not. I just, I basically, you know, when you're at a restaurant and you haven't, you can't decide between two things on the menu. So you ask when the waiter comes around. Yeah, if, if that fails as well, um, which it never does if you're listening, um, <laughs> then <laughs> then you just wait for the waiter or waitress to come up and you, whatever comes out is the right choice because that's what you wanted. When you ask me what my class winner is going to be, that's what will happen, okay? okay? I just forget I said that about the car which, and team which I said, which I won't name again in case you missed it. So, yeah, so we'll come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> but, so I'll lead you around the garden before coming back uh, yeah. to the ponds that I'm going to push you in. Um, but I completely get your point about there's amongst the stacked driver and team lineup, there's all these little stories emerging. You know, you have, like you say, Rizzi Competency only taking part in only their second race in uh, LMP2 machinery. And with that, you have Felipe Nazar driving a P2 at Le Mans. And there's conversations about whether he's going to be going to Porsche in the future. So eyes on his race result. You look at things like you say, Team WRT, Robert Kubitz's debut at Le Mans in the number 41 car, which is, uh, has been amazing in ELMS competition. You have... Uh, like you say, Jota with people like Stoffel van Dorn. You have G-Drive with newly crowned Formula E world champion Nick de Vries. There are all these storylines where I think everyone, every single car in the class should get a good result, but that's not possible. You know, <laughs> you look at every team and go, well, they should do well. Okay, you maybe look at the one Ligier car, the racing team India. Eurasia squad who have had a bit of a tough time getting to the race quite quite literally getting to the race has been a struggle struggle for them but every single car looks good I mean United cars Paul DeRest, Alex Lynn, Wayne Boyd in a squad together in the number 23 car that's a, a, an additional entry for 
United this weekend. Uh, racing Team Netherlands, Fritz van Erd, Guido van der Gaard and Job van Oytert back together after COVID nightmares in Monza. That squad always go well. <laughs> you couldn't want to count them out, especially now they're with the Oracle and we've seen that team come leaps and bounds after ditching Dallara and, and, and last season and already this season. And then factor in a second year now for the Richard Mill racing team with the all-female driver lineup. They had a really good race in 2020 where they stayed out of trouble. They did the little things right, didn't get the big things wrong. That's that's what they did really, didn't they? And it was a fantastic drive from them climbing up the order you know, into the top 10, the, the whole LMP2 field, I don't, I don't, I can't really quite amalgamate <laughs> this brilliance into one sentence, but it's going to be fascinating. Whoever wins deserves to win this race. And uh, on that topic, uh, who's your pick for the win, Michael Atherton? Uh, I'm actually going to change my little outburst earlier and I'm going to go for number 28, Jota car, the Vandoorne, Blomqvist and Glale car. I think that's a bit of a super team in a class full of super teams, really. Right. But yeah, I just think they they didn't, they had obviously both Jota cars had an amazing run, Portimao, and laid down a bit of a marker. Bear in mind the fact that I, I remember reading that uh, Jota haven't failed to finish on the podium for the last seven years in LMP2. Their track record at the circuit, as we've witnessed firsthand in 2017 when we went to Le Mans. There it is, Claxon. Um, we know that they're great rounds here and their lineups are amazing. But equally, you can't really bet against someone like United with three cars, obviously reigning champions as well and race winners last year. I think obviously they've got very strong across the three cars again. Uh, but I think the Albuquerque, Hansen and Scherer car, 22, probably is, is going to be the strongest of the three if I had to bet on it. But yeah, the, the depth of this field is almost mind-blowing in amongst all the little nice feel-good factor stories that we've got in here. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. And also, before we move on to your uh, class winner, we'll just, and you can add in a klaxon here again if you want, but we'll just say... Whoever has a clean, fast run in LMP2, it will be on the overall podium, in in my opinion. That's another that's a, another bold claim, I know, but I really don't think it's that bold this year. No, I, and I don't think I'm going to disagree with you on that one either. No. I, I don't think I can fight that one. Um, we saw from the test day the times are close. Second. It's a second, It really. Yeah. I mean... And yeah, we are looking into test day times. It's not everything, you know, the cars aren't completely how, you know, set up and perfect, but it's not just like the hyper cars are suddenly going to get loads quicker and the, the P2s won't find that same time in setup. You know, yeah. everyone's going to improve. Were, if you were here. forced, right, if you were forced, if I said to you, Tim, you can have an LMP2 car for the season, the one caveat is you've got to run the lowest downforce set that the car has. If you're thinking, oh, God, where do we go then? Where do we go? Oh, if I've got to go to Portimao, oh, really? We'll run low <laughs> downforce there? We'll run at Spa? Okay, I can, I can make sectors one and three work. Sector two might be a bit tricky. We've got to go to Monza? Okay, fine. 
oh, we're going to Le Mans. <laughs> All right. Probably was going to run that setup pretty much as is anyway. Not obviously oversimplifying there massively, but th there'll be less of a headache than it's been at previous rounds this season. And I think the times of the test day reflected that. And even if they were uh, five, six, seven seconds a lap slower, with the potential for mechanical issues and just the lack of numbers in the top category, I think they've still got a great chance. I mean, if we can see it happen with the, the pace deficit between peak LMP1s and, uh, well, basically I'm obviously referring to 2017, but in that era where the pace deficit was huge or at, way bigger than it but, is now at least. The, the Oracle 07 was a new car that year. Yeah. So exactly. you're talking about the best of the top class against a new P2 and a new P2 nearly won it. And now you've got to flip the script. You've got new cars at the top and you've got a very well-proven P2 car. And, and to add to your point about the pace difference, I love a good stat. We all know that on the TRV in that <laughs> podcast. We all know that I love to dive into the numbers. The, the P2 cars really made the best of the parts of the track where they're quicker. I mean, I'm looking particularly at the Porsche curves. Uh, I mean, the, the far, I'm looking at the times, specific sector times from the afternoon session of the test day. The first hypercar is the number 36 Alpine, and it's maybe on the outskirts of the top 10, 11th in overall. Wow. And, you know, that's when you're going to get those moments in traffic. That's where you're going to get the hypercar pushing or struggling or trying to make its way through fighting for the overall lead against a P2 car that's maybe trying to keep on to the end of the lead lap or is actually for position because of how stint safety cars, whatever Le Mans drama has worked out. I completely agree with you. They're not going to have an easy time keeping the P2s at bay. And if it does happen, and, and this, this is the point, we had a six-hour race at Monza and the LMP2 winner was on the overall podium. We had six hours. We had a quarter of the chance for things to go wrong, things to happen, and a P2 got on the podium. At Spa, first race of the season, the United Autosports car, it took over half the race for it to go a lap down at a track where, like you say, it's probably more Le Mans relevant than somewhere like Portimao. And even at Portimao, we saw penalties awarded to LMP2 cars because they were so quick they were getting in the way. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, if it's going to happen, I agree with you, this is the year. So who's your overall winner then? Oh, sorry, I meant to say class winner, but it'll be the same thing. <laughs> what? Now, I'm stuck like you, and I've been waiting for the, uh, the waiter to come to me and say, <laughs> what would I like? And I was going to ask them, what would they recommend? But <laughs> for me, I, again, probably let my emotions get the best of me. I think based on form, based on this year, based on who's going well in LMP2 with this whole, you know, uh, mishmash of setups and tyres and whatever changes have been made, the car I'm going to pick is that number 41 Team WRT car with Kubica, Louis Delatraz and FAA. I, I honestly think that they've got a lot of momentum behind them. They're, they're in that situation where they've got 
a lot to prove, but nothing to lose, if that makes sense. They are rookies. Uh, you know, Kibitz is a rookie. Team WRT are new to Le Mans. So if something goes wrong, everyone's going to be like, you know, first race for WRT. You know, we understand they're such a well-established race team and organisation, but Le Mans's different, you know. Almost kind of give them a buy on it and be like, we, we get it. It's understandable. You know, thanks for coming. See you next year. But, and I think with that almost lack of pressure in that respect, that's going to give them the opportunity to thrive. You only have to have watched 25 seconds of an ELMS race this year to know that that is the car you keep your eyes on. That is the car you watch because it's been fantastic. It's been dominant, uh, quite simply. So, yeah. Is that a bold prediction? Yes. Is it probably a little bit wayward? Is it? Is it a bit of a... I'm not backing the favourite horse in that category, let's say, but I think that, you know, that if things go their way, if things go well for that car, it will win the category. I don't think it needs to be spectacular. It just needs to be as good as it's been, which ironically is spectacular. So kind of, <laughs> kind of knocked myself off the podium I stood on there. But anyway, <laughs> um, well, let's conclude then. The LMP2 category was saying, do not uh, look away from this category because it's a spec class, if you like. I, I think you'd be doing yourself and the, the race a major disservice if you cast your eyes further afield. So let's cast our eyes further down the field uh, to the GT Pro category. Now, we spoke in some length uh, after the uh, Monza race about four cars in the class and this ebb and flow of performance through the day and the night the reality is now we've got four WEC regulars which are of course the two AF Corsa Ferraris and the two Porsches the 91 and 92 with lineups you've all uh, come to know and love two changes though in the AF Corsa the 51 uh, Combe Ledegars, the addition, the third driver for the 24 hours. And in the 52 AF course of Ferrari, Sam Bird's been drafted in for Davide Regon, who's still recovering from his crash at the Spa 24 hours. Uh, not bad substitutions, if I might say so. Uh, but then we've got to add in the two Corvettes, so the two CARs making their debut at Le Mans. In addition to what I might say are the two most interesting GTE Pro entries for some time, the Hub Auto Racing number 72 Porsche, the first Asian uh, team to race in the class uh, at Le Mans, and the number 79 WeatherTech Racing Porsche, Cooper McNeil, Earl Bamba and Lawrence Vantor together in that category. The GTE Pro class is going to be so fascinating because you have this dichotomy big word might pat myself on the back for that one virtual pat coming your way there you go whether i'm about to use it in the right way or not is the next question (laughs) you've got the battle between the wec teams who will be looking towards the championship will be looking towards the importance of scoring big time points at the mon against the teams that are there for one race one race only to make a point 
I mean, WeatherTech Racing is the prime example of that. Those guys, I mean, big driver lineup, big success in the States. They can add a Le Mans win, podium, to their catalogue. That's huge for the squad going forwards. But, you know, we spoke about this ebbing and flowing and how close it could be, but we genuinely mean that half, don't we, with the GT Pro class. We've got quite the conundrum here with how the racing, how the action, how the eventual result is really going to play out. Yeah, I think in GTE, as is the case in the the rounds leading up to Le Mans, the full season rounds, essentially, we have very much got a case of quality, not quantity. And I know, again, that's probably my third or fourth cliche of the podcast, but I think it is very, very true of the full season entries of just the two Porsches and Ferraris. And I think it is very true here. Um, grid, obviously, the entry being bolstered by the two privateers and the two Corvettes, which are a massively welcome sight. I mean, that, for some reason, that, as well as the lack of fans, we were trying to put our finger on what was missing from Le Mans last year, I remember, and uh, it was an easy answer. I think it was Corvette, really. Yeah. Uh, Of course, the fans and the lack of atmosphere made a massive impact, but also it just felt so weird for the first time in two decades not to, to see the bright yellow Corvettes um, battling away in in the GTE class. So fantastic to have them back. Absolutely fascinated to see how they get on. I do want them to do well, um, purely because of their commitment to GTE and the fact it's a new car and the fact they've overhauled their entire ethos to make this car, essentially. I mean, that's a huge decision from Corvette to to go mid-engine. But to an extent, was it influenced by by their lack of success in terms of not getting a win uh, in the last few years at the peak of GTE? Maybe it was. We know they came close. 2017 could well have been their year. I think 2015's the last win. Yeah, I might be might be wrong there though. So that's that's a long time for Corvette if you look at their track record at Le Mans. So that's a big change to make. But I have no doubt it was in some way influenced by the fact that. Hey, if if Porsche can completely overhaul their ethos of rear engine, then we can completely overhaul our ethos of of front engine, and it's worked for Porsche. And yeah, so I want them to do well, but there's also not a a team or entry that I don't want to do well. And I'm absolutely fascinated to see how the privateers get on. And we haven't had a privateer on the podium for many years. The last one I can think of is Risi in 2016. So. It's a massive undertaking for for a privateer to go up against the big boys, but I can see you racking your brains. No, I'm racking my brains. I can't uh, think of anyone. Last year we had Rizzi and WeatherTech that actually did surprisingly well. Well, it's certainly the last instance I can think of it. And Rizzi that year challenged Ford for the win, so they did incredibly well that season. Um, but yeah, I, I, I digressed slightly. But my point being, basically... It's a huge undertaking going into it, but in terms of actually being there at the chequered flag as well for a privateer, very, very big task. But saying that, love the lineup of the um, Hub Auto car. Seeing Alvaro Parent, Maxime Martin, Dries Van Tour, that when I saw that entry announced the driver lineup, I actually giggled out loud to myself with a little bit of glee. I was like, 
this is and and to be fair the weather tech lineup as well mm. Bantor and Bamba being reunited with with Cooper McNeil obviously in that car as well and I, I can't wait to see the pictures of that car I, I, I hope it has a clean run just because I want to see that car covered Healthy. in in yeah Healthy. exactly <laughs> at night covered in dirt sun's yeah. coming up in the background and, and it's highlighting all of the debris the dead flies from the french countryside welcome to welcome to half's artistic corner once again this is where (laughs) half talks about glowing brake discs and blue flames for about five minutes need a little jingle (laughs) insert that in here where half forgets about racing and competition and goes purely for the artistic and poetic points which I, yeah, but of course, we need entirely that. agree with. I entirely you do agree entirely with agree with that. But you're also, while I'm telling you, trackside at Le Mans to, oh, Tim, look at, look out for this car when it downshifts to, to third gear because there's going to be a huge stab of blue flame. Just wait for it. It's doing it every lap. That's when you're like, oh, cool, nice one, mate. Oh, by the way, they're off sequence with the leaders now. Because <laughs> they, just, they just did a driver change and and uh, yeah. and tyres were where the other team just took fuel or, or whatever it is. So that we need each other to balance each it other works. out in terms of appreciating oh. the racing and understanding the racing. Oh, keep, so, keep moments here only on the time. I was getting a bit overexcited about the fact no, it's Le Mans, really. But the point you make about the Hub Auto lineup, it's almost like a box of fireworks, isn't it? Like It's going to take <laughs> that spark, that moment. I mean, Dries Van Tour, GTE Am class winner. Uh, in 2017 with JMW. Alvaro Parent, I mean, needs no introduction as a GT driver and a talent behind the wheel of anything. And Maxime Martin as well, who is reigning GT Pro Le Mans winning with uh, Aston Martin in the number 97 car. So you've got a trio of drivers who very well know how to handle big events let alone handle a big shouty gte car that bright yellow livery as well is pretty cool and i think the other teams will be very happy that it's brightly colored because they're going to be wanting to keep their eyes on it uh, for the entirety of the race i really hope they have a good run like you say as for weather tech racing and and i think this is again what's interesting about the gte pro category like you say for the first time in a little while properly uh, but in this category it's the only chance where we see proper privateers go up against manufacturers you know you could argue yes Glickenhaus are a privateer but that's their car they've built it they've made it they're running it hub auto didn't build this porsche so you know they're a privateer squad run from whatever money they've got same with WeatherTech, going again up against the manufacturer porsche team with all the money and might of a factory effort, but they've got the same cars and they're in the same class. You know, it's really quite interesting seeing that battle play out between, it's almost David and Goliath, isn't it? Um, Except David's got a pretty big slingshot and, you know, Goliath's got a pretty big forehead, but, you know, it's, it's an interesting battle in that respect. For me personally, the winner from this category, I think, is going to be a Porsche because I think the run of form Porsche have got in the WEC at the moment, I think they're doing everything right. They've definitely laid the foundations for a Le Mans win this year. I don't 
feel like there's any major weakness to that car that's going to come out. They might drive round issues, like we said about tyres, etc. But all of that's been so well managed uh, at Spa with the punctures, as well as at Portimao where they had problems but still pushed on. I don't think we'll see the Portimao conditions replicated at Le Mans unless the sun decides to come about three million miles closer. But um, honestly, think that if I had to pick a winner, going to try and do it. But this one's been really bugging me. Can I just say, in in the build up to doing this podcast, the GC Pro one I've really struggled with because, again, I always let my emotions creep in and the team I probably want to win. So, like, I really want WeatherTech to win it because I think that would be a really cool story. <laughs> yeah. See, Sebring 12 hour win and the Mon 24 win in the same year would be pretty special for what is a privateer team the only silver driver in the field is Cooper McNeil uh, in the GTA E pro field. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with it being the 92. I think it's got everything. It's got all the right ingredients. Kevin Estra's so on form as half shows me his phone. And yes, he has picked the number 92 guy. Yeah. Yarni Estra and Christians. I mean, we can't go wrong. Can we? Estra's in form. If he was, if this was ultimate team, FIFA ultimate team in WEC, he would be the most shiny card thing you could buy. Yarni is so experienced with Le Mans, but very well uh, exercised now in this GTE pro Porsche. And I don't need to say anything about Michael Christensen. So that's, I mean, like, what what can I say about him? Proven safe pair of hands in in Porsche GT machinery. So we're in for a really exciting race, aren't we, Half? And I'm going to ask you to pick your winner from what is a close but stacked field. Well, you've stolen my one. It's not fair. Obviously, I'm going to choose a Porsche. because We agree on something. Hey. <laughs> uh, I think, actually, it's like with the Racing Edge uh, choices at the start, me and you deliberately... Of course, we choose what we think could a feasible outcome. Well, I chose Alpine winning, but I did that because I thought feasible. Tim's probably feasible not. Outcome. Feasible it outcome. It is still a feasible outcome, yeah. I, I, I'm this. not backing down on this. Um, <laughs> but I also thought Tim probably won't have chose that. So for the sake of variety, I'll go for something different. And I'm going to think of my feet. And my backup is the 64 Corvette. Oh. The Tandy, Milner and Sims lineup. And I, I know that's maybe the Corvette that you would not bet against, but the other ones obviously got Garcia, Taylor, Katzberg, have a bit more experience together. But I just feel like Tandy's electric. We know that. Milner's got the experience and Sims is a cracking endurance driver, in my opinion, albeit he's got a bit of ground to make back up because he missed the test day. Um, to compete in Formula E's Berlin season finale. So I read today that he's he's very much conscious of wanting to get up to speed because he's got two very fast teammates, um, but also very conscious of not overdoing it and not costing them any track time by having an incident or trying to get up to speed too quickly. Um, but yeah, he, he said, uh, quite interestingly, comparing it to the BMW, um, he's driven previously at Le Mans that this was 
pretty much perfect straight out of the box when he drove it. He didn't really have any of the typical racing driver feedback of, oh, I'm getting a bit of understeer, oversteer here. He was like, the main thing to figure out is how we balance the setup between the three of us rather than how do you make it fast. So I think that's pretty much a racing driver's way of saying we have a bloody good car underneath yeah. us. Um, obviously, the CAR is making its debut at Le Mans. So we don't quite know how it's going to get on, but in terms of the strength of the team, strength of the lineup, strength of the car elsewhere in the world, and even on its uh, WC debut, I know it didn't have the most favourable BOP, but it was still there or thereabouts. And now the ACO, I guess, one of the sort of hidden advantages, I guess, of something you might not think about as much is the ACO do have some experience to go off of that car now in terms of BOP as well. So maybe, I'm not saying that they did that deliberately, but it might play into their hands that they didn't have the best BOP at Spa and they might need a little bit of a break to bring them into it. Or well, I'm just, just, just saying, not yeah. saying that will happen, just saying it's a possibility. So... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I would not be surprised to see, obviously I'm not betting against the 92 because that was my original pick as well. <laughs> wouldn't be surprised to see the three different manufacturers filling three slots on the podium because we're not seeing the huge entries like we saw in previous years where there's four Porsches, there's four Fords, there's, you know, we've got two, uh, two, two cars from the US contingent of the factory program as well that we don't have those numbers so I really feel like if one of the cars has an issue then it's like right well that promotes a Ferrari onto the podium or that promotes a Corvette onto the podium or whatever it is um, but yeah to conclude very excited to see and in a similar way to LMP2 the battle at the front is going to be heated and while it's not going to have the strength in numbers that LMP2 has has the quality certainly and also the feel-good stories and the, the underdog kind of yeah. stories that you're just willing on those privateers to take on the Goliaths of the category as you say so yes we don't have the numbers we used to but still plenty to watch out for so I think to to add to your Corvette point of the six drivers three of them have never driven Le Mans in a Corvette so half of your squad have experience driving other things Katzberg BMW Sims BMW and of course Tandy and Porsches of all kinds you know you've got a quite an interesting problem to solve there I would maybe say but at the same time if you wanted to take a new car to Le Mans and you wanted someone there to guide you through it Nick Tandy's going to have a wealth of knowledge that's going to get that car up to speed in the right places and like you say it's Alexander Sims is quite confident that it is already in a good spot add to that Alexander Sims who says it how it is and has a fantastic mind for technical and engineering problems solving them getting round setup issues and Nicky Katzberg another driver who not only is going to lay it all on the line on track doesn't beat around the bush he's not going to sugarcoat any problems so you know you know and that's exactly what a Pratt and Miller squad will want is the car good or is it shit <laughs> tell me <laughs> <laughs> like that's how it is they're gonna know they will know and if they're already in the right tracks you'd be stupid to look away from the C8Rs come Saturday afternoon when the the trickle or waves at 3pm so 
a fascinating race in store for us in the GTEs, uh, especially in the pro class. And I'm, we both picked the Porsche and you want to stay tuned actually, because at the end of this podcast, we're going to have an exclusive look at the Porsche entries. That's right. Not yet telling you who's going to be joining us. You can have to stay tuned, but going to have an in-depth look at the Porsche cars in particular. I know there's plenty of Porsche fans on TRB, so stay tuned. So let's move on then to the second GT category, the last category uh, racing at Le Mans. 23 cars, so it's the second largest field uh, in the race this year. And another category half where I don't, I know where to look for winners, but I know that the whole field is packed full of potential good results. To, to make this claim early, I think that the winner will be a WEC regular. But I think the those that are coming in, so Absolute Racing, of course, Spirit Racing, a uh, Spirit of Race, sorry, JMW, uh, Herbeth, Inception, uh, Iron Links, Rinaldi Racing, and TF Sports' second car. The names I've said there, these guys are going to be giving it everything. I am particularly excited to see how those cars do. I'm looking at the Absolute Racing Porsche. Um, great livery. Absolutely love the livery on that car, as, as do I think the majority of the uh, endurance racing fandom. But to see that car doing pretty well on test day, already out of the box first time for absolute racing uh with a porsche at le mans to be pretty quick off the bat and to be showing their potential lineup andrew harrianto alessio piccarello and marco seafried marco seafried i mean that name is of course associated with all kinds of fun things in in endurance racing but that car is going to be exciting to watch. Spirit of Race off the back of a GT win at ELMS. The number 55 car, Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin and uh, David Perel, who I absolutely adore and who uh, I had a brief exchange with on, on Instagram the other day, which was fantastic. Star driver who wanted to see at Le Mans this year and so happy he's racing. Oh, it's just it's just brilliant. Uh, the GT Anfield never, or in this you know last five years, has never failed to deliver an excellent race. Never failed to deliver a fantastic field. Proves that there is still a little bit of life left in GT racing. But twenty twenty one is going to be another chapter in a fantastic story for this category. Yeah, I think this is this class is time to shine. While while the pro entries is depleted we don't have the same numbers and we won't yes we'll have the focus i'm sure we'll have close wheel-to-wheel racing and good strategic battles as we said in the previous 20 or so minutes don't overlook gt pro but i think this is gt am's moment in the sun if you like it's battle's going to be very intense again the recurring theme of there's these nice feel-good stories i'm really interested to see how uh, entries like D Station get on. I've uh, really enjoyed watching them so far this season. How Rinaldi get on? I know they've got two bronzes in that car, so we can't be expecting them to win. But also, if they have a good run, maybe we could see 
them step up their their lineup and and want to go for the category win um in years to come the spirit of race car like you said amazing to see Perel finally getting that shot at Le Mans because it feels like he's been we've been on the journey with him as fans because that this is a realization of a dream for him like it would be for any of us going there um and just feel weirdly proud and I can't really think of a better team for him to be joining as well obviously Matt Griffin and Duncan Cameron there they're two Le Mans stalwarts and Ferraris that get on extremely well and work very well together as teammates um so very sort of family inclusive feeling to that and, and and I hope that's a relationship that can continues beyond this year's Le Mans because especially like you say with the success they've had in ELMS recently as well to me in terms of picking a winner this is probably actually the most difficult one I had to really sit and think about not that I didn't for the others but kind of just went uh, I can't decide so I'm going to go bold with this I'm going to get it in early because I think you might have chosen the same car Right. I'm going to go for the number 83 AF course entry, the Nielsen, Rivera and Perodo car. I think this could finally be the year that Perodo gets the class win just because they've been so strong in the the rounds leading up to Le Mans and WEC. And even when they faced adversity, we've seen them fight through the field rapidly, absolutely rapidly. Um but I, I genuinely think this is going to be one of the hardest to, to call and the most interesting to keep up with. Um, sometimes I like to think, like, if, if I could only watch one class at Le Mans this year, what would it be? I genuinely think this year it would be GTM. Right. As, as a race. Yeah. Uh, just because of what the, the entries we've got, the numbers of cars, the variation we've got in terms of... Um, lineups and driver talent as well some amazingly talented amazingly experienced drivers also a fair few who don't have nearly as much experience or who are making their Le Mans debuts or new teams that are making their Le Mans debuts so yeah I know that's probably one of the boldest things I've said as well but no, I, I, I would agree I, can you see my perspective on that I completely agree and and for those who again this is another just sprinkle of information uh, obviously deep into this podcast but GTM differs GT Pro in the sense that the majority of drivers do not make their living as a race car driver. So, you know, your Tommy Milners, Antonio Garcia, Neil Yarn, Earl Bamp, whatever, those guys are professional race drivers. They get paid to race for Porsche, for Corvette, whatever. In GTM, the AM meaning amateur, you have drivers who are maybe people who've made their money elsewhere in the world and are now spending it going racing. You know, they're self-funded teams. It's quite simply, if you listening decided to set up your own race team, buy the car and drive it, you would probably fall into the GTM category. All right, that's, and, and I know half smirking at that for some reason, as if we were, as if in some world, some universe out there, we're capable of being in GTE Pro, <laughs> uh, or even just being there. But anyway, with that, then you get a mix of driver ranking. So every driver is ranked. Your bronze is the lowest. Silver, gold, platinum is the pro of the pros. You know, your F1 drivers are platinum rated drivers. Your, uh, you know, your factory GT 
or hypercar drivers or some of the P2 drivers are platinum rated. In GTM, it's balanced in that you need to have uh, a bronze in every car. I think you can have a bronze, silver, and then whatever. You get these really interesting drive lines. And with that almost becomes this, uh, this almost ballast, these stints where you know you're going to lose time. So it's all about these AM drivers. Ben Keating is one that we always talk about because he's very good at just getting the job done. He's not a professional driver. He is a very good driver, but he doesn't make the mistakes you would expect someone who's just, you know, who's not a race driver to do. He's very good at just getting in, getting the job done, which is why we see cars that he's in doing very well around the world in racing elsewhere, whatever. You need your AM driver to have a good race to then enable the, the pro drivers that are, you know, splattered in amongst the category to then get behind the wheel and beat the living daylights out of the car on track. So you get these races where you might have two AMs in the car going head to head. Then one car might stick with the AM for another stint whilst the other changes for a pro to, to get track position on the other car. Then that will change when the pro gets in the car that was running second and then catches up and tries to pass the AM driver in the leading car. You get this ebb and flow of positions and racing. We had it last year in 2020 where you had uh, you know, Sally Yulluk in the TF Sport eventual winning car. Uh, he's an AM driver going up against Augusto Farfus in another Aston Martin. He's a pro driver. You get these battles out on track where there is a quicker driver and a slower driver. What makes this year particularly interesting is uh, you've got a very small selection of platinum drivers. Now, this is like, I'm going to introduce this race within a race whilst I skirt around and whilst the Tims in the back of my brain are still trying to think who I'm going to win, who's going to win in this class. <laughs> so you've almost got like this class, like within the class with the four platinum drivers who I'm quite interested to see how they do. That's Giancarlo Fisichella in one of the AF Corsa cars, full season entry number 54. You've got uh, Nicky Team, who's in the number 98 Aston Martin. That's the Northwest car. You've got Harry Tinknell, which is a really exciting addition. He's in the number 99 Proton Competition car. And you've got Callum Eilot, who's making his Le Mans debut with Iron Link. So you've got drivers in kind of different situations, uh, and almost as class within a class because these are these are the proper big racing drivers who who really should be performing in this category. Out of those four, half who are you going to have your eye on? For me, I'm going to try and keep across all those stories. And and I think you know if you want a way, let's say of of making GTM easy to digest for you if it's your first race, maybe pick one of those four cars and keep an eye on a driver's name that you might recognise most. But out of those four, I'm really quite excited to see how Harry Tinknell does in GT machinery at Le Mans. Look, we know how talented he is. We've seen him driving for Mazda and IMSA. We've seen him as well in Ford in their WEC exploits in years gone by. A very quick drive, probably one of my favourite drivers in sports cars at the moment. But I would say he's close to being thrown in the deep end with Porsche, with Proton. And with GTM competition entirely, it's quite an interesting scenario for Tinkers. 
Yeah, it is. I just go back quickly to your point of if you are a new uh, fan watching Le Mans for the first time, I know Tim will always say this uh, as a bit of advice to to bring the race alive if you're kind of struggling to keep up with everything. And why wouldn't you be, especially this year, with everything we've just said, all of the above basically contributing <laughs> to uh, it, it being a very hectic race across all the classes or at least things to watch out for definitely definitely do pick a car or at least one car per class or even if it's just your favorite driver and if you just want to see how Callum Eilert's going to get on in the AM category like one of those things that gives you an extra incentive to keep checking in while you're watching the race and not let it wash over you a little bit um, because it does obviously with endurance racing ebb and flow uh, I, I do agree I think it's going to be interesting to see Tinkers in in a Porsche in AM um, but my driver I'm going to be looking out for is the aforementioned Mr. Eilert because I was really excited to see how he got on at Spa which obviously came to quite an unfortunate early end um, so we never really got to see that and I'm just quite fascinated to see um, how Iron Links get on obviously in that three, three car entry um, and obviously having that success at Spa, I think will only spur them on. And I know you did a post about it after Spa saying like, they're here, they're here to make a mark. This is, the, could this be the year that they really, you know, signal their intent for the future as well as obviously having Spa as a huge win for them. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited to see how they get on. There's so many other stories across AM that I almost feel, um, are going to get washed over, but I'm even the inner 24 hour series fan within me is really excited to see Herbert racing at Le Mans. Yes. A team, a team which has had huge success over the 24 hour series over the last probably five, six years now, just running Porsches absolutely metronomically and not putting a wheel wrong and just doing what they need to do. It'd be a very big ask for them to, to win it'll be very big ask for them to be in the top five i think but they're a team renowned for just pounding the laps out and being metronomic and staying out of trouble and i feel like with the quality and and quantity of, of entries in this class it will be quite easy how many times in that opening stint especially have we seen so far this year where drivers are getting a little bit overexcited Maybe you've seen a, a few flat spots or a few off-track excursions where you really can't afford to be having those at the moment. So, yeah, I'm not saying that that's, that's going to massively favour Herbert because I think they've got an up, uphill um, battle on their hands, but I think it's something that will contribute if they can stay out of trouble. And if any of the entries can stay out of trouble, it extends beyond to every entry in that class. I think you're going to be in with a good shot. Um, but, again, just another class where... As for me, the pick, the pick between the, I know we still haven't got onto yours, so uh, I'm just going to say it's a certain <laughs> car which has quite a lot of blue on it and it, the team running it happened to have the same initials as Is that you your do. guess? Is that your guess um, for who I've picked? I, I think it's my backup, so I'm assuming it's who you picked. Yeah, it is. And it, I'm assuming we're going to have to set off a klaxon for when you name one of the drivers. Yeah. <laughs> Were you really this predictable? We're on episode <laughs> seven and we already know what we're going to say. Oh, crikey. Oh, dear. But yes, right, fine. <laughs> My pick for winning GTM 
is the number 33, TF Sport, Aston Martin, Ben Keating, Dylan Pereira, Felipe Fraga. I think they have been, I don't want to say the class of the field in GTM so far this season, but they very much been at the sharp end of proceedings. Keating's overdue a class victory uh, with an asterisk, of course, <laughs> circa 2019. But too soon, too soon, too soon. Sorry, we'll we'll cut that bit. But uh, I think that they are, are going to have a strong race. I've just got this gut feeling that TF Sport going back to back in GTM doesn't seem horrendously far fetched despite a completely different driver lineup to last year, completely different looking car, uh, a whole step up in terms of their operation. I don't think it seems silly to see that car taking the checkered flag first on Sunday afternoon. Um, but like you say, you know, this, this field, we've got really exciting story. I mean, like the proton, the whole proton entry is just in itself is just thrilling you know, talking about the likes of Matt Campbell, who had a, a really strong race last year. Uh, Jackson Evans as well appearing at Le Mans in 2021. Julian Andlau in a car with Dominic Bastian, who's going to break his own record as being the oldest ever driver at Le Mans. You know, this category is brilliant. So I'm going to ask you this question. We're going to review it post Le Mans 24 uh, when... <laughs> weary-eyed and uh, dosed up on cups of PG tips. That <laughs> is an app for sponsorship as well. PG tips <laughs> but I'm going to ask, how many cars, so different cars, do you think will lead the LMGTM class at some point? Oh, that's a great question. You've got 23 to pick from. I'm going to say I wouldn't be surprised if it went into the double figures but I'm going to go with eight. I was going to go seven. I'm going to go with eight. Okay. okay. Just so because, gonna... just purely basing that off of how how frantic the start of the races have been so far this season. But yeah, you, you tell me yours. I'll see if well, that's I, a I conservative think, guess or not. I was going to go 12. I don't know why. I can just see it happening. I can just see... There being a lot of changes. I mean, you know, lead the race means just lead across the start-finish line, whether that's in pit stops or whatever. We're going by the almighty Alcamel timing results here and what they choose is <laughs> to have led a lap. But I, I honestly think we could see we could see double figures, you know, over half the field lead the race yeah, at some point. I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm writing yeah. this down. Half guess is eight. My guess is 12. If you want to play along at home, please feel free to comment as well as guessing that if you have listened this far tend to do quite silly sentences but as um so far this podcast we've been throwing out some pretty bold predictions i would like and i'm sure tim would like because it's extra engagement in the comments <laughs> you to comment my boldest prediction for this year's le mans is bam not not literally bam bam you you put your prediction in there um, and tell us what you think is going to happen because I think in terms of scope for wild out there 
kind of predictions. Yeah. I think this year is a pretty good one to be able to say stuff which you're like, oh, really? That's bold, actually. Thinking about it could happen. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, so yeah, give that a comment. Sorry if I've stolen your thunder, but yeah, you won't be complaining when you get the engagement. Mate. Thanks, mate. Always looking out for me. Uh, you Always. may be getting promoted from receptionist shortly. Uh, <laughs> thanks for your hard work. So, let's conclude our class run through there. Just wanted to give a brief shout out, of course, to the the sixty second car on the uh, the entry list, which is the innovative car. This is previously titled Garage Fifty Six. It's the maybe a little bit different entry for some reason, technical innovation or standout storyline or endeavor and the latter is what describes the association srt 41 entry this year they're using a heavily modified oracle 07 to uh, give those who have severe physical impairments the ability to race at them on it's part of an entire system which enables people who maybe are without arms or legs to drive race cars to get behind the wheel and to see them racing at Le Mans is, is really exciting. Uh, they were, of course, meant to be racing last year, but due to COVID concerns and, of course, those uh, who form part of the team being uh, highlighted as potentially at more risk of COVID implications, the decision was made to not take part last year. But they're back in 2021. And I honestly think, I honestly get shivers a little bit. I've got shivers now thinking about this. If you want to see just how hard a human can push themselves, if you want to witness just how fantastic someone can be in the face of adversity, watch this number 84 car roll in for a pit stop. Watch how embarrassed you might think if you were that person who's, you know, having to use a frame or whatever, get out of the car. In, on live television, you're strapped up, being carried out of the cockpit and wait for that driver to take their helmet off and see how big the smile is on their face. Honestly, I've seen the entry. They competed in the LMS race. I think I, I watched the, the Barcelona, the opening round of the season live. They were so happy to be there. It almost made the aspect of competition fade into irrelevance. It's such a special story and it is easy to laugh and it all point or go, oh, what's going on there? That looks weird. That's strange, you know. But I think I, I like to believe that as sports car fans, we're, we're better than that. And we see this and actually applaud their brilliance in taking part, their determination to be here. And in fact, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, you know, whatever body you have impairments likes dislikes if you love racing you love racing and that's what we all come together for and i know that turned into a bit of a soapbox moment no I but i think agree, i think i think it's so important to for those that are new or those that are existing le mans fans when you see that car when you see the pit stop because it will happen you know we will see this pit stop on the coverage at some point because the aco is so proud of these guys to, to just just take a second and think about how important this is to them and how how much they've had to overcome just to even have their name on the entry list, let alone 
do a lap of Le Mans. So exactly, yeah. you haven't gone off on any tangent, mate. Everything you said is completely true, and I wholeheartedly agree. Fantastic initiative, and I can't wait to see them out there doing their thing and um, you know proving a point in in the most amazing way possible i genuinely can't think of a, a cooler more impressive undertaking to do this is a topic which is actually quite close to my heart um obviously as you know i, I made a documentary at university in my final year following around um a team of disabled veterans team brit and spent a lot of time with with those guys and saw firsthand the impact that racing can have Obviously, in that case, a lot of them were recovering from past trauma mentally as well as physically. Um, but the sort of the mental impact racing can have, the, the, the mental impact sport can have on, on people um, who, who are even people who aren't disabled, who, who just have struggles in their life. But any sport can help. But racing unlocks this this thing with inside you where you have to exist solely in the moment because otherwise you'll know about it very quickly mm. uh, and without getting too deep I often think endurance racing at the core of why we love it is because it essentially embodies life within a 24-hour period things get thrown your way which are out of your control there's moments in the race which are beautiful the sunset the sunrise and represent hope and they represent danger and they represent a huge task ahead of you. Lots of things can happen over the course of it and it's not always plain sailing, but at the end of the day, the, the main reason we're all there is to keep going, keep racing <laughs> yeah. and make it to the checkered flag. That's, that's what life's all about, never giving up. And that's what racing is all about. That's what endurance racing, spirit of, of endurance racing is all about. And there's no better place to go endurance racing than Le Mans. So, Fair play to them. Sorry for getting all deep about it, but I don't think there's anyone out there who would disagree that no. that's really at the core of why we love this so much is because it represents something greater. And we love seeing that physical toil, that mental toll that it takes on the drivers and teams. That's as much part of it as yeah. is the, the battles and the, the strategy and the wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing that we've just spent the last hour and a half, two hours chatting about. Um, so, yeah, fantastic to see that. And just another feel-good story amongst a field of, of great stories. So, massively excited for this year's Le Mans. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's bring our, our usual TRB in-lap uh, stroll through the classes uh, to an end there. Move on to something special, something unique and something... Uh, that's making its debut in this episode. I'm very delighted to welcome on our first ever guest. Yes, you're going to hear a new voice, not just half an eye uh, rambling on about endurance racing. Uh, I'm very excited to introduce for a, an expert opinion and an in-depth look at Porsche entries at Le Mans this year. Porsche Sport podcast host and radio show limited commentator, Peter Mackay. Thank you very much for joining me on the TRV Inlap podcast. Uh, you're actually our very first guest on the podcast. I don't know how that makes you feel, if that's a, a little victory you can take away uh, from today. But first of all, I must ask, how are you doing? And 
have you got those uh, pre-Le Mans jitters, that excitement that we all seem to get ahead of this race? Well, first of all, thank you very much, Tim, for having me on. And uh, uh, this is fantastic. So when you're a big megastar, I'll be like, I was the first I was the first <laughs> guy on on, on uh, the TRB Inlap podcast. So, yeah, fantastic um, to be here. Um, yes, I, I mean, I'm not um, I'm not a big fan of Christmas. I don't understand the fascination with Christmas, but uh, my goodness me. So Le Mans week is kind of my Christmas. Like it's that you build up to it. It's once a year. And yeah, the, the week of Le Mans, you start to get jitters is, is the right word. And this is the first year that I've been involved professionally with the race, which is, to be honest, is a is a, an honour and a, a privilege Um to really for me it's the world's greatest motor race a lot of people will say the indy 500 and there's lots of strong arguments for that some people will say it's the monaco grand prix and there's lots of strong arguments for that too and there's lots of other different uh examples but le mans 24 hours is a kind of it's a household name isn't it even if you you know i've said it to a lot of people who aren't motor racing fans over the last few weeks and you get a knowing nod even though they don't watch any motor racing so they know what the le mans 24 hours is and uh, and it's the good thing is it's quite a quite a literal title as well. Yeah. It's it's in Le Mans, <laughs> Handy, France, it? and it's twenty four hours. And you know you still get the questions going. Do they actually race for twenty four hours? But that's that's the the crazy part about it. But it's um you know it's it's brilliant as well that it's going to be the first time in over two years that fans have made their way back to Le Mans. We say only fifty thousand. That gives you an idea how big a, a deal Le Mans is because it's normally five times that. I think it's it's rite of passage, isn't it, as a, an endurance racing fan, when you say to someone, yes, it is a 24-hour race, and they give you that look, like, so they just go round for 24 hours. Little <laughs> do they know that it is so much more than that. And uh, half uh, my fellow podcast friend, we, we were chatting about the, the trials and tribulations of endurance racing. It all seems to come together at Le Mans, doesn't it? It's the place where the heartbreak, the glory, everything happens in this one race in France. It does. I mean, we were, um, my Porsche Sport colleagues this morning, we were talking about this um, The in 2016 when Porsche won at the very last, in the last three minutes, Toyota were winning. They were going to get their first ever Le Mans win, you know, on, I think the, what would that have been, the tw- 30th anniversary of their first attendance at Le Mans in the in the mid 80s and three minutes towards the end their Toyota um, TSO 50 I think it was at the time broke down and all you had to do was look at the just sheer unfiltered agony on the faces of the the Japanese engineers who just were in this trance they were motionless looking at the TV and there were there was no oh no it was just pure shock and it it almost uh, paralyzed them on this on the spot and you, you you couldn't help for even if you weren't a Toyota fan even if you wanted Porsche to win you, you still couldn't help that human feeling that and you know the the car break grounds to a complete halt on the start finish straight and you know for you know I, I think forgive me if I'm wrong I think it was Kazuki Nakajima who was in the car yeah. at the time it was. And his dad, his dad actually ran the first Le Mans for Toyota when he was in F1. He, he raced for it was a, called the Tom's eighty six C was the first uh, Toyota car. And but of course, the thing about Le Mans is if you stick at it, it will it will be kind to you eventually. And you know that's why Porsche have been so successful. You know they've nineteen wins 
outright more than anybody else. 108 class wins more than anyone else. And that's because they've stuck at it since 1951. They've never left, uh, whether that be in their own works entries or via their customers. But for Toyota, you know, actually, you know, it's they've won the last three years in a row and people say, oh, it's been easy. They've just cakewalked it. Well, no, they've been the people who have turned up and they've kept the, they've, they've kept the race alive. They've kept the magic of Le Mans. And we could be looking at a completely different complexion if Toyota had just said, you know what, we've got no one to race against. We're out of here. But they didn't. And and I think they, they deserve a lot more credit for that than, than they maybe get. Um, so, yeah, I think that that definitely, for me, that, summed, that 2016 race sums up the, mm. that certainly summed up the agony. But in that very same race, you've got Ford coming back on their 50th anniversary of their yeah. first win at Le Mans. They've got this brand new Ford GT and they win and they beat Ferrari, and they're obviously overjoyed, and this is huge, and you've got that happening all in one all in one episode, if you like. You've got one day where you seem to go through an entire life's worth of pain and, and heartbreak, but also the joy. A, a real vivid memory for me is I was at Le Mans 2017. It was my first trip to Le Mans. Baking hot could have quite simply sweated dust. It was so hot that weekend. <laughs> And I remember being stood at the uh, the Forest S's when uh, Johnny Adam passed uh, Jordan Taylor in the Corvette to take victory in GTE Pro on the exit of the Ford Chicane. I could wow. see it on the big screen, but over the noise of the cars coming past, I could hear the grandstand on the main straight. And bear in mind, I'm a, a kilometre away, if you like, from that at that point. It's an atmosphere like no other. And I don't think you can't emphasize that enough to people, can you, that, that the Le Mans is, is so special. So this year's race, though, from the, the perspective of a Porsche fan and a P- Porsche expert, it how do you feel about it? How are you, what are your thoughts going into this year's race? Because last year, Porsche's GT Pro race really fell apart within the opening four hours or so. Is it wipe the slate clean and go again, or do you think there's lessons learned that have been carried forward? Uh, I think there, there's there, there's a there's a trend which I hope is going to be bucked this year, and that trend is is that the pole setter, so the pole setters are, you know, you come into the race, you know, as as effectively. You could say in almost any motor race, the person on pole, it wouldn't be a ridiculous thing to say that they're the favourite to win the race because they've qualified on pole, they've showed that they have a a fast car and they're fast driving it, to be really basic about it. But the last two years, the pole sitter has been Aston Martin and then Porsche last year. And And then all of a sudden you go into the race in the first hour and they're just getting blown away in a category like GTE Pro, which is normally so, so close to the hundredth of a second. And you think... Ah, what's been going on here? And what obviously what we're talking about is balance of performance and the manipulation of that rule set. So we couldn't have a Corvette, well, in the old days, a Corvette, a BMW, a Ford GT, a Porsche 911 and an Aston Martin Vantage all race on a level playing field without balance of performance. Um, so it has so many pluses. And I think the pluses of a balance of performance formula do outweigh the negatives. But of course, the negatives is... The, the, the fun and games that go on in practice and in qualifying, sandbagging, basically hiding the true pace you have and go, oh, poor us, we've got no pace. Oh, please, can we have a balance of performance help? And they get a weight reduction or a bigger turbo boost or whatever. And then in the race, all of a sudden, 
three, you know, can be multiple seconds of lap time appear out of nowhere. And that's that's something that I have to say, there are certain, it seems to, it really affects as well when you're in the first year with a new car as well. Aston Martin, their first year with the Aston Martin Vantage, it was, it was actually, I felt embarrassed for Aston Martin and that's obviously come on to be proved that it's never been a slow car. It's just been fitting it into the, the class, um, you know, and for Porsche last year, it was their first year with the new RSR 19 and they're very fast in practice and qualifying. And in the race, they were, they were just simply nowhere. And I remember Kevin Astro telling me about it. He says, basically our chassis, was it Kevin Astro? Was it Richard Leeds? I can't remember. It was one of the two of them. They just, they just said the the chassis of our car is so good. Like we make our lap time with the chassis, with the handling, with the braking, that kind of thing. So we in turn then have to be um, pegged back on the power um, to, you know, to balance us into the, the lap time that we need. So that was effectively what happened last year to Porsche was that the, the, the pace of their rivals transformed completely uh, from qualifying to the race. Now, that doesn't mean they've put a new part on the car. That means that the, the pace has been altered. Um, this year, I think, it, you know, what, what is it they say? Once bitten, twice shy. I think they're going in fully aware of what the game could be. Um, but they've, they've also got, they've got to worry about Ferrari, who have been so strong um so so strong throughout uh, the european le mans series and in the world championship and i think their car will really suit the circuit de la sarth as well uh, it does it's a very well developed car now the 488 we've had it for what seems like forever <laughs> and then corvette what, what what do you think question mark corvette what are they going to bring to the table do you reckon I, look we we spoke about this in, in half an eye that there's no denying that the C8R is a good GTE car. I mean, if you think fundamentally, it is the most up-to-date GTE car there is. Mm. It's the most mm. recent car to be built. Yeah. So you would hope that there was an upward trend, or Corvette certainly hoping that there's an upward trend. For them to completely change their philosophy to match the fashion of GTE, you would expect them to give it everything if they're going to do that. And we've seen in IMSA that this car is quite simply brilliant okay yes it's had limited yeah. competition in 2021 but there's no denying that the car is a great car alexander sims who's driven at le mans uh, most recently in the bmw uh, m8 gte coming away from test day saying i feel like the car's it's brilliant straight out of the box he's so confident in the car and he hasn't even had any time to start tinkering with bits and bobs and and making it to his slash the team's liking the CAR, I think, is a real, uh, you know, unknown threat. I think to to the Porsche guys and to Ferrari as well. And as, on your point there about Ferrari really being a strong car for Le Mans, talking ahead of Monza about the Ferrari. I mean, I was pretty much expecting Ferrari to win Monza within pretty. I don't want to say ease, but with you know, almost cruised to the victory. I didn't think Porsche would be as strong at Monza as they were. Yeah, me too. I agree. Yeah. Do you think that those same, you know, the same necessities for like good strategy that we saw from Porsche at Monza, the certain, uh, you know, willing to risk it a bit on fuel, give it everything. I think there was a section where um, 
I believe it was Bruni was given five laps to make a pass, almost being told, this is the race, do it now. Coming into Le Mans, can you play those games? Can you play the strategy bits here and there? Or is it you just need to be quick, out on track, smash your 45, 50-minute stint out, bring it back into the pits, hand it over and carry on? Or can you play those games? Well, I think it depends if you've got the... if you They'll find out in the first stint if where the real pace is. Um, I think that's that's that you in qualifying and practice you have to take almost every lap with a pinch of salt in in a way, um, which is a shame that we have to say that. But but you know the race is the main event really, um, and I think in the first hour you you really get an impression that at that point the teams know are they going to be the the rabbit or are they going to be the, the tortoise kind of thing. Yeah. And they if you've got the pace you just got to use it. You just got to get on with it and just just pulverize the competition and you know break their resolve because if you've got pace advantage you've got to use it if it becomes clear that you've not got the pace then you think right now as you say that's when alternative strategies and that's where you have to get creative to win that's how well we'll talk about i'm sure the the privately entered pro teams that are running porsches weathertech racing and haboto um you know what that's how weathertech won the sebring 12 hour with a silver driver in the form of cooper mcneil that's how they won at road america at imza a couple of weeks ago with matt campbell on the most ridiculous fuel save you've ever <laughs> heard in your life it's like halfway down the street and it's oh if he'd had a bigger lunch i think they would have been struggling to to get to the end on that one yeah it was that if matt fine, campbell wasn't, wasn't five foot well i don't know he's not he's not a big guy he's a right. light light driver and he's an amazing driver as well i think He's one of the best GT drivers in the world, Matt Campbell. But he, um, but yeah, that was just sheer cunning. They did not have the pace of the Corvettes, um, you know, but they, but they played the strategy perfectly. Um, so yeah, that would be that would be my kind of summary of it. Is that it's going to depend on how they come out. What I would say between the Porsche lineups are is that the, the ninety two car, Kevin Estra is the big name uh, in the Porsche lineup. You know, everybody knows who he is now. He's the, he's, I, I think it's, you wouldn't, it, uh, certainly in this 2021 season, there'll be a lot of people that will say he's the best GT driver in the world as things currently stand. I would certainly sit in that camp. However, there's a lot of people who are 0.001% close to him. They're really, really that, just mm. a matter of a, a few things going either way and they're right there. And, it, you know, Coming into the race, you know, Kevin Estra's won it before. He's going to be racing with Michael Christensen, who he, he won the race with in 2018. And they've got Neil Yanni in the car, who's won it outright in a prototype. But the car to watch, I actually think, is car 91, which is um, the car with Richard Leitz, who's won it on three occasions, um, uh, Jimmy Bruni, who's won it on three occasions, and Frederick Makavecki, who's actually, he's he's been racing at Le Mans for over 10 years, but has never won it. The reason why I, th I would say keep an eye out on car 91 is because Jimmy Bruni, all of his major successes, he's won every big endurance race you want to know, but he won all of them with Ferrari. That's the big difference, is that he won everything with Ferrari, and then in 2017, he got, he got, he got his a second offer to drive for Porsche. The first one he turned down, second one they asked again, and he took it. And it, Ferrari were very, very angry and they tried to make life very difficult for him and put him on gardening leave and all this kind of thing. And uh, and so off he went. And he's only won a couple of World Endurance Championship races since, 
which is extraordinary. He's never won Le Mans. He's never won any of the big endurance races with Porsche, which is crazy because you a lot of people will say, and I would would agree with them, is that Jamie Bruni is right up there as one of the very best drivers in the world. And, you know, ex Formula One driver. Don't forget. Yeah. Um, and I think Jamie Bruni. You know, he's forty years old. He he is a terrier. And he will be coming into the race. I think by now he's going to be pretty fed up of not getting the results that he's capable of. And in you know in the year, um, the picture behind me of the Rothmans car in 2018, yeah. um, you know that was a year that Porsche clearly had the pace, and the Pink Pig car, the 92 car, won. But actually, as Richard Leitz has pointed out to me before, he said, you know, we we were winning, and then we got we got screwed by one of the by the safety car, mm. and it was just bad luck, and we were fighting that for the rest of the race. He says, but we were ahead at that point. Um, there are, there are no weak links in either of or any of the pro cars, to be honest. Um, but I think the '91 crew, there, Frederick Makavecki, his friend, she's been a Porsche driver for a long time. That has got to be one massive gaping hole in his CV as a Le Mans win, and you can be sure that he's going to throw everything at it. I just have this feeling that the 91 crew, they have got a point to prove. And the crazy thing is, is that it's not an, an understock story either because they've got the credentials, they've got the pace. It's just got to come together for them on the day, I think. But, but that's what's interesting, isn't it? You, you almost feel that in this 2021 WEC season, you know, we've got to remember Le Mans is part of a championship and in the races mm -hmm. leading up to it, almost forget that the 91 car is racing at some times because the 92 has been stealing the headlines. Like you say, it's been Kevin Estra's formula this year. Yeah. The 91 car, that lineup, very much have a point to prove. And if you want to make a point, this weekend's going to be the time to do it. Yeah, and I think if you would, I think if you would really, if if you were to say say to a driver, okay, come on, is it a world championship or is it a Le Mans win? And I would be pretty confident in saying that ninety five percent would say yeah. a Le Mans win. Um, that gives you an idea in itself just how important Le Mans is. I mean, if you can win the world champion, if you've missed out on Le Mans and you win the world championship, it's a great. You know, it's a brilliant, it's not a consolation prize. It's just a cool, it's really good way to say, do you know what, we had a good year, actually, and let's go again next year. And the thing is, you know, it has been Kevin Estra who's been taking the headlines, both in qualifying. He's had three poles in a row, um, three out of three. But you look at the timesheets and he's, the sister car will only be hundreds if maybe a tenth or two behind. So it's just the tiniest margin. And, you know, the WEC races are six hours, sometimes eight, 24 and 24 hours at Le Mans, different, different mm. kettle of fish. And, uh, and the thing is, sometimes you need, you know, we've seen it so many times at, at Le Mans where you need, there's these stints that stand out that really make or break a race. And, you know, one of them would be, for example, Nick Tandy's quadruple stint in 2015 through the night to win, to really put that car in position to win outright in LMP1 in a car that nobody expected to win. And there's these sort of mega stints that happen through the race. And watch out for Jimmy Bruni particularly. And I, I would suspect that they put Jimmy Bruni in at the beginning. And that's obviously when it's really elbows out. And just, yes, if the, if the 911 RSR 19 has the pace, which there's no reason why it shouldn't, um, and unless, you know, something else comes in play. But if that car has the pace, watch Bruni if he's in the in that car at the start. We will I'll make sure my eyes are locked on it. And and mm. I know in the uh, recent episode of the 
Porsche Sport podcast, you spoke to Kevin Estra. Obviously, we've mentioned, mm. you know, it's hard to avoid his name so far this <laughs> season. Yeah. How do you think he's, uh, you know, building up to Le Mans? The man that you would say is on the best form he's been on, that coming into the biggest race of his season, dealing with the pressure, would you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the Nürburgring was a big one for him. Um, to win the Nürburgring 24 hours for the first time was huge for Kevin, I think, from from what I can glean from the conversations I've had with him. Um, because he, he will every time you ask him about it, he will say, we came so close in 2018 and we came so close in 2019 and we didn't quite didn't quite get it. And 2020, they, you know, the cut they, they were just out of the car was out of contention for whatever reason, whether that be balance of performance or whatever. Um, and this year they knew, he said, you know, they knew they had a car that could win the, the 24 hours of Nürburgring. Uh, but that race, even more than Le Mans, a lot more can go wrong in the 24 hour of Nürburgring than it can at Le Mans, actually, believe it or not. Some people might argue with that, but I, <laughs> the Nordschleife is going to bite you if you get it wrong. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think he's 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 up for, for Le Mans. It's been three years now since he's won it. Last year must have been the longest 24 hours of him and all the other Porsche drivers' life because they were just driving around at the back. There was there was nothing they could do, um, you know, which which is must be the most frustrating thing in the world for any racing driver. So yes, I, th- I think he'll come in. The only thing is, is we were talking about this on the podcast this morning, actually, is that do you actually put Kevin Estra in as Mr. Qualifying in Hyperpole? Do you want him to go and, you know, do what he, and he has one speed. You know, if you put him in, he will go 100%. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you can't say, Kevin, just go and run to this lap time. He'll go, right, okay, next joke. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, he's got one mode and that's just full attack. And if you put him in the car, he will get in and put in a Hollywood lap time. Mm. And as we saw with Marco Sorensen two years ago, that, that ruined Aston Martin's chances. You know, that Aston, um, Marco Sorensen got a clear lap in qualifying, put in perfect sectors each round, good lap time, and they, they had the pace taken away from them on the Saturday night and the race. Oh, sorry, on the Friday night, sorry. And that was the race done. So I'm really excited. Well, I'm really intrigued to see who Porsche put in the car for Hyperpole on, uh, on Thursday. And obviously, alongside Kevin Estra, is probably one of the uh, most interesting storylines of 2021, which is Neil Yarny's GTE switch. I mean, so used mm-hmm. to seeing him fighting for overall weather in Porsche, driving a rebellion as well. You know, uh, Neil Yarny is a talent, no doubt about it. How do you think he's getting on with the Porsche? What's your assessment of him? Because uh, half and I say that he's, you know, we think he's doing a very good job considering that how little time he's been in this car. You know, you think he did the uh, Sebring 12 hours at the end of 2020. I mean, a baptism of fire, to say the least, to have your first endurance race in a GTE car at Sebring. But he's, I feel like he compliments Kevin Estra really well. And to some extent, uh, you know, it, Please do jump on me if I say this, but I feel like Kevin Estra, knowing that he's bringing, uh, I don't want to say a rookie, but he is, you know, he's a rookie driver in GTE in, adds that bit of, okay, maybe I've got to carry things a little bit more. I've got to, you know, explain things, maybe teach and learn, you know, explain things to Yanni. But 
But Neil's a very quick learner, isn't he? And very capable of picking things up when he needs to. I mean, for you know, his performance at Spa was really strong, did exactly what he needed to do. And then Portimao and Monza following, he's done that and then some. Yeah, it's a, you're right. It's a fascinating topic, Neil Yanni, because I have to say, I think a lot of people up and down the paddock were thinking, couldn't really quite understand Porsche's decision, regardless of who they put in the car instead. Why Porsche? I still actually don't understand why Porsche decided to split Kevin Escher and Michael Christensen up. You know they were they were such a dream pairing. Mm. They always they work so well together. They're very close friends, uh, and I, I I am yet I I look forward to having it explained to me what the what the thinking was right. there, um, because it still doesn't make sense. But and that's not that's nothing against Neil Yanni. That's just why would you. Mm. why break a winning formula you yeah. know that's the, they won the world championship and they won the last round of the season and then that's it they get split apart you go right okay I'm not <laughs> sure I understand that one but for Neil Yanni it's been fascinating because Neil Yanni he's obviously as you rightly mentioned he's been a single seater guy and he's been a prototype guy and he's won Le Mans outright he's been you know high speed high downforce cars and to go to a gt car must have felt like driving a sofa compared to what he was used to <laughs> um and and as you rightly say as well tim going to sebring i mean talk about i mean he's driven at sebring before lots of times but to do it in a gt car again it's hard and at sebring uh new yanni was over a second off the pace in gtlm and i think a lot of people up and down the paddock are thinking Oh, oh dear, because that's not a category where you can be a second off, off the pace, really, or certainly not as a pro driver anyway, eh, eh, in that in that sense. However, as you, as you absolutely rightly point out, with without an enormous amount of seat time, he has brought, hauled himself up to the level of, let's be honest, some of the best GT drivers of, of the decade in six months. And I think that proves, that just proves why... You know, we're you and I are sitting here talking about it. Yes. We're not running Porsche's <laughs> GT team. Um, I mean, I, I, to be honest, I, I still stand by it. They should have kept Kevin and Michael together, but there's always this, there's always reasoning that we'll not be privy to. And actually, I think you know, Michael Michael Christensen is such a level-headed driver, and you can put him in any situation, and he will deliver what is required. You you know, you can rely on him when you put him in the car. And I, I think between the three of them, I think they've 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 obviously had one race together at the eight hours of Portimao as a trio. And um, you know, Michael Christensen said to me, he says Kevin Esther is a very thoughtful person. He's a very attentive person, and he's very good in it. You, you know, you would think him as the kind of alpha male team mm -hmm. leader in terms of pace and results and you know just sheer pantomime of watching him drive. Yes. You would think that he would be a bit kind of full of himself, but actually. You know, from what I, from his teammates that I've spoke to, they 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 say that he's you know he's a brilliant teammate to have because he 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 understands that you know he can do his bit in the car, but there's lots he can do out with of the car to help his teammates as well, and vice versa too. So yeah, I think that that's that they're going to be Neil Yanni. I think is going to be he's he's ready to go, which I wouldn't have said. It, 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 November Sebring 12 hour last year mm. and thinking oh god this is what's <laughs> going on but and I'm sure Neil was as well he's a pro racing driver he's going to know he's going to be the first guy looking at the timesheets going what yeah. what I, this is, it makes no sense to me but he's I tell you what whatever the work that's been done behind the scenes my goodness me yeah you got to take your hat off to, to Neil Yanni the improvement 
you know, we say in endurance racing, you're only as good as your weakest link. And if your weak link yeah. is Neil Yarny, then it's not a very weak link, <laughs> yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, 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 you, you, you're going to be laughing to yourself a little bit if you look at your lineup and go, oh, Neil Yarny's the one with the question mark next to you. That's not something you'd usually do. This year's Le Mans is, I mean, full to the brim of Porsches, isn't it? A fifth of the total entry list is Porsches. It's a good year to be a Porsche fan, isn't it? And there's some exciting entries. It, it, I know you've said that the 91 is the car you've kind of got your eye on and is the car you're, you know, picking out, dare I say, for a, for the big result. But any other cars in the GTE Pro class or obviously beyond into the, the numerate customer entries that you think could spring a surprise result or that, you know, maybe Le Mans fans need to pay particular attention to? Uh, I, I would say from a driver lineup perspective, the Hub Auto Porsche has got no weak links whatsoever. None. You know, they've, in fact, you could make an argument that they've got the strongest driver lineup for a GT car. So you've got Alvaro Parent, Dries Van Tour, and Maxime Martin. Yeah. Um, three drivers who need almost no introduction. They've but you know, obviously Alvaro Parent and uh, McLaren GT racer. Maxi Martin up until recently, Aston Martin, and Dries with Audi. So the only thing that could hold them back is the fact that they don't know the car. That will be the 911 RSR debut for all of these drivers. The only driver really who's had experience of a GTE car for it in, in any real pro context is Maxime Martin. So he's mm-hmm. got to be the team leader. He's got the most experience. But you look at like somebody who Dries Vantour is 23 years old. He's won Spa, he's won the Nürburgring, he's won Le Mans. He has won Le Mans before. He's won the GTM yep. class at Le Mans. So driver-wise, they've got no problem. The only thing is, is the, the Hub Auto team that's their first go at the race in the GTE Pro category. Uh, the car will be new to them. As, as is always the case with Porsche, they will get a lot of support from the factory. You basically aren't allowed to buy an RSR or even indeed a GT3R from, from Porsche, unless they're going to hold you by the hand with it, basically. Right. So it, they're very, very selective over who gets the cars. And as far as I'm aware, I don't think you'd be sold an RSR19 or rented one. I'm not sure if it's a, a sale or a lease job, but you wouldn't be sold one if you didn't have an ent- entry for Le Mans, effectively. So they, you know, the, the, it's it, Porsche are very, very careful who get the cars and therefore very, very careful looking after the customers who have them. Um, Cooper McNeil, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, who's going to be in the WeatherTech racing car, uh, number 79, he talked so, uh, you know, so, so positively about how Porsche... When they actually, they had a, believe it or not, WeatherTech Racing had a Ferrari ordered for the 2021 EMSA season. It was on the ship on the way to the USA in GTLM specification. And for reasons that Cooper couldn't divulge, he says the deal fell apart and that was it. And uh, I don't actually ever know what happened to the car, if it went into the McNeil collection or if it got sent (laughs) back to Italy. I really don't know. But they, they said, all right, okay, what now? And very quickly, when Porsche got wind that they wanted to still field a car in the GTLM category, Porsche jumped into action and said, here's our drivers, you can have our drivers, here's a team that can run it for you, and let's let's make this happen. And that's kind of what, that's, that's what makes a good customer racing manufacturer, which Porsche have a great reputation for. Um, so, uh, yes, I think that the Hub Auto team, if the car runs okay, 
the drivers will do the rest. And I think they, they, they're a dark horse as, as well. Um, WeatherTech Racing, who are the other, the, the fourth car in, in uh, GTE Pro, privately entered car funded by the McNeil family um, who own WeatherTech. Mm-hmm. And Cooper, um, Coop, Cooper is a really interesting guy because Cooper is uh, his, you know, he works in the family business. He doesn't make his living from racing. You know, he, he makes his living from the family business. Um, um, but he applies a professional approach to his racing. He probably has more, I would say, does more seat time than most factory drivers do, um, which is amazing given that he has to pay for it all, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, or WeatherTech or the company do. Um, and, you know, he races in Ferrari Challenge, which to be honest, he, he goes there and dominates every race. He's, it is kind of above, he's kind of above that level now, but he still does it to keep the seat time, to keep sharp. Knowing and he knows he knows the lines Denny's going into. He's fully aware that he's going into the pro class. He could race in the AM class. He's a silver license. He could go and do that, no problem. But I love his spirit. I love his mentality, his family's mentality. That no, let's if we're going to do this, if we're going to spend all this money, and if we're going to go to Le Mans, let's play with the big boys. Let's do it properly. And I love that because that's what you know. That's what Brumos used to do. That's what. Um, you know, lots of Porsche customer teams, Bob Aiken, Dyson Racing, all the big Porsche American customer teams from the 60s, 70s and 80s. That's what they did. So I think that spirit has been carried on. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, that's that's what's really cool. And of course, his teammates, El Bamber and Lawrence Vantor, yes. <laughs> you know, Errol, for me, I don't think the general motorsport ecosystem which is obviously centered around Formula One. I don't think people realize just how good El Bamber is as a driver. I, 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 he never got, he should have been given a Formula One opportunity, in my view. And, you know, given his opportunities in LMP1, he more than proved himself. Now, in his yeah. exploits in GT machinery, like you say, very much one of the, the talents, probably that, you know, the stars that people don't uh, pay the most attention to. And uh, in this WeatherTech racing entry, you know, the the addition of Bamber and Van Tor for this race is really exciting because I, I do get the feeling that both of them have a point to prove as well this weekend. And I get the feeling that it would add an extra element to it if they get a strong result with this team, with the knowledge of, you know, Cooper McNeil in the lineup. Let's be honest, you know, lower rated driver, he's not the quickest. You know, these are all factory lineups. Yeah. really and Cooper McNeil admittedly will be uh, towards the bottom of the timesheets there, there is the opportunity for Bamber and Van Tor to pull out a very big result from a car that has won one of the biggest endurance races of the year already that's right it has it, it, indeed and and the difference is is that in the way that IMSA works which is where the you know the Sebring 12 hours is the way that that works is, is you've got every time there's a safety car, the whole field is reset. So effectively, if you're still, as long as you remain on the lead lap, you're in the game. And what the super strategy from um, WeatherTech Racing and Proton Competition to know that they say, right, we've got, let's get Cooper's, they, 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 you, they got Cooper's drive time mm-hmm. out of the way and made sure that the last four hours, five hours of the race was the two pros, Matteo Giamini and Matt Campbell. And that meant when it came down to the crunch and, you know, in the last hour and a half in the dark at Sebring, you're going to get yellow flags. And therefore the field kept resetting 
and you need the you need the gun in the car at that point and then you're on a level with with everybody else you've got a pro in your car up against the pro in the bmw and the pro in the corvette and porsche and weathertech racing came through and won at Le Mans, you don't have that same luxury. If you lose time, you lose time. And, um, you know, a, a safety car period does not necessarily give you that, that chance to reset. However, what Cooper can do is if he, if he goes in and whatever his pace is, say it's two or three seconds off the pros, which is still, if you think that doesn't sound impressive, that's mighty impressive yeah. for someone <laughs> who doesn't make their sole living as a racing driver. And if he can do that and make sure his stints are flawless and manage in traffic and minimize risks, and then I think it's 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 I think it would wouldn't be unfair to say that Lawrence Vantor and El Bamber are gonna do the majority of the heavy lifting. I think that's gonna be part of the strategy. I think that's quite obvious that you know El Bamber and Lawrence will 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 be doing the majority of the driving. They will be exhausted by the end of the race. But that is and where they place Cooper in the race and I'm sure this is this is long been worked out this will been worked yeah. out for months and they've got their plan absolutely ready to go and if they can get that right why not um why not the only thing the only the only caveat to that is you've got to get through two Porsche factory cars first yeah who don't have who don't have that stint that they need to worry about they they could literally throw it throw a dice and say right you're in the car next and it would almost make no difference yeah. that's how good the, and that would be the same for the ferraris and it would be the same for the corvettes um we were you know, saying that's the only thing. we were saying uh earlier on in the podcast um half and i were chatting about that that's what makes the gt pro category so interesting this year is these mm. privateer entries because it's they're on a level playing field it is the same yeah. car it is you know there's no uh you know bronze driver here etc or you know like in spa 24 racing with different categories where the car from the outside looks the same etc etc these are essentially the same cars the factory car is as good you know on paper as the privateer entry so we've got this really interesting race that could play out before us um Let's move on, though, to the GTM category, because there's a particular storyline I want to pick your brain on and see and see what your thoughts are. And that's a certain Harry Tinknell's appearance in the 99 Proton car. Obviously, we know Harry's involvement with Multimatic. We know that that's uh, the Multimatic stickers on the back of the Porsche, uh, the, the GT car uh, this weekend. We know of the future of LMDH, etc., and how Harry could potentially be involved. But for him, as an IMSA prototype driver, as a driver that is driven with Ford at Le Mans and a driver that has uh, won in LMP2, it's a completely different ball game, isn't it, GTM? And it's going to be interesting to see how Harry fares. Well, of course, he he won it last year with Aston Martin in in the GTE Pro category, um, so he's coming in off off a real on a real high. Um, his drive at the Watkins Glen six hour this year which is one of the biggest it, it's right right up there on on the on the card with Sebring and with Daytona um it's a proper endurance classic in my view even though it is only six hours Watkins Glen is an amazing place and Harry's drive in the Mazda DPI prototype to win that race and you could hear just how much he was having to fuel save he was really having to lift off to get the car to the finish and win because if he pitted that was it 
but he was doing that with the one thing about Harry is his instinct in traffic in multi-class sports car racing is you think oh here comes a crash oh no no he's got through <laughs> oh it's another crash oh no no he's got through again that's what you know makes yeah, Harry think they're so special and you know I don't think that um I don't think that someone like Alan McNish would would manage personally manage just anybody and I think that says a lot that that Alan is his personal manager, and I, I think Alan has got a, a stellar reputation within the sport, both in and out of the car. And I think he would, I'm sure he's been asked by hundreds of drivers to to, to manage them, and he's probably said no to every single one but Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch. I'm, I'm the only thing I expect is for him to be blindingly fast. In fact, he might the only thing that is might be slightly embarrassed. The guys in the GTE Pro category might be having to look over their shoulder because the GTE AM cars are the same spec. Yeah. But well the, yeah yes they are now the RSR19 is, is in both categories. However the GTE AM is slightly heavier. They, they make it slightly heavier. Not much but slightly but don't be surprised to see Harry put in a couple of blockbuster times, which are up there with the pro boys, which, um, you know, that, that, that's going to be a part of it. The one thing that disappoints me slightly is that the, the drivers that were on the list originally, Patrick Long, we're now not going to have Patrick Long at Le Mans, which makes me very sad. Um, and one driver who was on the entry list um, to begin with was uh, Felipe Fernandez Laser as well, who is actually, a lot of people don't realise he's still a silver rated driver even though he's he is definitely a gold level pace at least <laughs> um so yeah that would have been that would have been a very strong lineup but they still have it do have a, a strong lineup and i i think there is definitely further context obviously harry is contracted to multimatic motorsport who are going to build the porsche cars we know that's confirmed now so you know it's easy to put two and two together uh, and think if if this goes well, does this put Harry in the frame for you know a Porsche LMDH drive? Whether that be with the the full factory Penske team or whether that be you know in a customer team, we don't know. But uh, yeah, I think I have to say I was um, until I, the news came out, I was amazed that he wasn't on the entry list. To think that Harry mm. Tinknell was going to be sitting at home mm. until a couple of weeks ago is bizarre as well. The fact that we came so close to him not racing this year is 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 something that I think has almost been forgotten about a bit. It, it's funny, isn't it? Because he, again, is one of those drivers that I feel have regularly been in headline news across the motorsport world this year. And again, he's a driver that I feel people don't quite understand just how good Harry Tinkle is, you know, and, yeah. and it, he is exceptional. Like you say, traffic management, his race management, his ability to understand strategy when and where to make the move and, you know, how to do it as mm. well as his receptiveness to strat. I mean, the, the called, you know, to do that fuel stint came quite late on in the Watkins Glen and, and and, you know, he had to completely change his mindset before going into that final stint. Now throw him, I suppose, slightly in the deep end at Le Mans. It's a car he's never raced before in a team he's never raced with, with two drivers he also hasn't raced with. It's the perfect storm, you would you would say, for a, a driver to maybe get a bit flustered and a bit caught out by the, the situation. But Harry Tinknell's not like that. No, no, he, no, he, he absolutely isn't. I, I have... 
I, I think he's going to get into the RSR 19 and he's going to absolutely love it. And well, he was quickest of the GTE and drivers in, uh, in, in, of the whole class, which obviously, and there is some serious drivers in, in that class, you know, Giancarlo Fazakela, for example, you know, um, I, is, would this be one name you could, you could pick out there, but yeah, straight away quickest uh, in, in that car. And yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think he's going to get in it and he's going to, it might, you know, it's funny. One of these things that come up comes up late, and he he he'll go and do his thing that we all know, as you rightly say, that we know that he's capable of doing. And Harry will go there, and he'll he'll have a great race, I'm sure. I hope he just gets, if he gets enough track time, if there's not hopefully nothing happens to the car, you know, that's thing. If he gets a full full race at it, it could it 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 feels it feels silly to talk about oh this could give him an opportunity because I'm sure he's got lots of opportunities on his on his <laughs> yeah. plate but you know I I do think that it, it could be a key race and like you said he he didn't expect to be racing in GTE am at this stage in his career but you know take take what comes and you 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 know I'm sure Porsche will be watching I'm sure now another GTM entry that I've certainly had my eyes locked and I think a lot of people are interested by this team it's Absolute Racing who are of course taking part in the GTM category mm-hmm. a stunning livery uh <laughs> but to back up the ducks on the car they've got a couple of uh, quick paddlers in the machine as well uh, topping test day do we read into that do we read into them going quickly on Sunday or you know can we say yes this is a car we can expect to go quickly or, or do you think that uh you know that, that first time you know new lineup etc thing will play into someone like that um it's a, a car that I think a lot of people will be willing on yeah it's, it's a car that's going to be I believe is going to be run if I'm not mistaken going to be run by Proton I mm. believe which is a very good start um very very good start indeed uh, the only the only thing is is that it's the first Le Mans for Andrew Haryanto, the Indonesian driver who's the bronze driver in the car. Um, it's the first first Le Mans for Alessio Piccarello, um, a twenty seven year old Belgian who's the gold driver, um, it, who has won the LMS Championship last year. Marco Seafried, who's got a lot of experience in the states with wins at Sebring and wins at um, Daytona, but believe it or not, Marco Seifert at, at 45 years old has only done one Le Mans, and that was in 2015 with a certain Patrick Dempsey <laughs> and Patrick Long when they came second in the class. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating. I love the livery. The livery is very cool with the the black bits. I'm not sure about what the significance of the rubber ducks is, but the uh, I know there's an anti discrimination team, and the ducks mm. have faces of cultural figures on them. Anyway, that's uh, that that is. Um, if you know but certainly they've they've got no problem with their machinery uh with the proton car but gtm now is in such a place where the competitiveness of the field there's so many ways there's so many creative ways like if you look down for example the tf sport aston martin ben keating 49 year old texan is a bronze driver but he really is not bronze pace he's silver pace and you know that's the thing is is and then you need a silver driver who's really gold pace and Mm. that's i think that's the only thing that might hold them back a little bit is that the the driver 
rosters are just so strong now in, in GTE. Um, it must be quite daunting if it's your first Le Mans and you're not, you know, for example, uh, Andrew Haryanto has been racing for about eight years on and off on an amateur basis. So to go to Le Mans, it's, it is it is deer in headlight stuff, I think, when you first go, I think. And amongst the, the new faces as well, we have Herbeth Motorsport. Now, I must mm-hmm. admit that my podcast host, Half is a bigger 24-hour series fan than I am, but I can still delight in the fact that the Herbeth name is racing at Le Mans. Another team, you know, another name that potentially, uh, you know, your new sports car fans might not know about or might not have come across, but another name that's a, a valuable addition to the GTE Anfield in 2021. I think it's a great Cinderella story because, you know, they've, they've got here on merit. You have to, that's the one thing that I think a lot of spectators sometimes don't appreciate is that you need, you are invited to Le Mans and you, you can't just turn up and say, yes, I'm going to race it this year. It's you either have to be invited or earn your place by winning. There's a certain criteria. If you win ELMS, you win the European Le Mans series or you win the Asian Le Mans series or if you're one of the top IMSA teams or whatever it might be. Um, and they've done it. They've gone out to they've gone out to, to Asia. They've won the Asian Le Mans Series GT Championship, um, a 10-day championship, four races in 10 days. And they've earned their they've earned their Le Mans invite. And for for Robert and Alfred Renauer, the brothers who own uh, Herbert Motorsport, it's so cool to, you know, for them. And you know, they they're they're used to running the Porsche 911 GT3 R, the GT3 racing version of the 911 but this is their this is them now stepping up to the rsr because of course oddly in the asian le mans series they, they it's gt3 regulations for the gt cars mm. whereas the european le mans series is the gte regs so that's yep. the bit that is is quite interesting so the you know they're stepping up to uh they're, they're stepping up to a, a, a the, the big boy the rsr so but how I think they're going to have a great week. They're going to they're going to really enjoy it. All for all of the drivers in the car. It's their first Le Mans, and it's the team's first Le Mans. So I think they'll be if they if they get to the finish, uh, I think they they'll be able to chalk that chalk that up as as a, a good result. I think that's got to be their their target is just get the car to the finish, run it safely. And the thing is, if you run a clean race to the end of the finish, you look at the scoreboard, you go, oh, okay, didn't expect <laughs> to finish that high. You know, you never know. Uh, of course, you know, as we mentioned earlier on and, and you went into detail about that the, the Porsche customer teams, they have backing from Porsche as a manufacturer. With mm-hmm. that support comes Porsche associated drivers that can be, you know, loaned out to these teams if you like. And in amongst the AM category, obviously, you've got the likes of Dennis Olsen, Matt Campbell, Jackson Evans, Julian Andler, all strongly associated with the Porsche brands. Is there a you know one of these young drivers that you think is in in need of a strong performance this weekend? Is there someone who needs to maybe prove themselves, or do you think that reality is they're all there because they can pack a punch and they're all going to be packing a punch this weekend? Yes, I think they they they're all there on they're all there on merit. That's for sure. I mean, we were talking about Julian Andler actually how. He is his two teammates are, are really inexperienced at Le Mans, um, and for Julian, you know he's only you forget he's only twenty two years old. He was the youngest ever uh, winner of the uh, the twenty four mm-hmm. hours of Le Mans, eighteen years old. Um, and Porsche have you know they've 
they've given him um they're asking a lot of him this this week you know to basically lead his team lead his car carry the team uh, as the pro driver in the car but that to me that shows that he's exactly on the right path with Porsche and that he's incredibly well thought of by the team um you know Lance David Arnold his teammate is very experienced racing at the Nordschleifer, you know, multiple NLS race winners raced with Fricadelli a lot, but, um, you know, he's never done Le Mans before. Dominic Bastian, well, Dominic's 75 years old. Um, he's, he's amazing for 75, but he is still 75, you know, and so they're, for them to, for Porsche to put that faith in, in Julien, I think tells you all you need to know about what they think about his future and how they have a future for him. Um, Matt Campbell, yeah, I think he's going to be he's going to be in with the furniture at Porsche for a long time. Uh, likewise, Dennis Dennis Olsen, the only driver who I would say not necessarily something to prove, but maybe someone who is hoping to get the silverware and the results for what they deserve is Jackson Evans. You know, Jackson Evans has come up from a bit like Matt Campbell has come up by the bootstraps through production racing in Australia. Got gone on to scholarship programs and it's literally dragged his way up um, from from zero, uh, just like what Matt Campbell has. In fact, Matt, I believe Matt Campbell and Jackson Evans actually share a flat now, uh, and right, okay. and you know, and Matt's sort of two a year or two ahead of where Jackson is on the kind of Porsche ladder, and that I think that is that's critical as well. And I, for me, they're arguably the favourites actually: Matt Campbell, Jackson Evans, and Christian Reed. Uh, for me, I, I think they're going to take. Uh, they are in the same car, I'm sure. Yes, yes they, they are. They, yeah. yeah, they are. Yeah, they, for me, they're. Um, I I would put them as the favourite um, for for GTR. That's handy because that leads me on to my uh, penultimate question: was uh, to <laughs> ask you to pick a, a winner from each class. But importantly, do, do you think? I mean, you must do. But are we going to get a, a double Porsche victory? Do you think in GTE? Don't think so. No, I don't think so. No, I, I, uh, GTE Pro, so hard to, to tell. The one thing is you cannot ever write off Corvette, even if they've turned up with the car that's maybe not necessarily the quickest. They are, I always say, a not so lean winning machine because they, they it's it's incredible. They Whenever they have competitions for the best pit crew, they used to do them a lot in the American Le Mans series. Corvette won every time. And Corvette always are the ones who execute the best on strategy and on pit and just pit execution and race execution. They are incredibly loyal to their drivers. Only 22 drivers have ever gotten in the cockpit of a Corvette factory car. And three, and this year it's going to go up to 25 because Nick Tandy is yeah. going to be in one. Uh, Alexander Sims, as you mentioned, and of course, Nicky Katzberg. So, You've got a Porsche. I've got to get through the Corvettes and the Ferraris. They're always they're always going to be there as well. GTE Am, again, it's an GTE Am is kind of a little bit of a numbers game as well because there's just you mentioned there's a lot of Porsches, but there's even more Ferraris. There's Ferraris <laughs> everywhere, um, you know. And you look at some of the lineups and you think, my God, that's a tough school. I think a, a double win is really really tough. It's been two years now. 2019 was the last time Porsche had any win at Le Mans, and that was Project One, who actually didn't even win on the road. Uh, if you remember, that was when the Ford GT yes. entered privately by Ben Keating 
uh, and his teammates, Jerome Blake Mullen and Felipe Fraga, they won on the road, but then, of course, they were dis- later disqualified for for a small technical infringement. Um, so it's been a while. It's been three years since there's been a GT Pro win. So it's uh, oh, it, 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 it's hard to say. That's what why we love Le Mans, though. I mean, really, you, you couldn't really predict it. The only thing that might... Uh, the only thing that might hold Corvette back is that it's the first year at Le Mans with the car. And we it's become a bit of a, a trend that... And you can totally understand why that the organisers are quite careful not to have a new car come in and just pulverise everybody. So they often go on the more cautious side and hamper a car that, that's maybe been... that's uh, it's in its first year and then it, it comes good in the second year. The only caveat to that is that Corvette have been good at doing, they have turned up to a various um, uh, WEC races with the CAR on a one-off basis and have, have not had good results. And, you know, so you could argue that they've given ACO enough mileage to get an accurate look on the car in terms of balance of performance and it, it, you could also argue that they might think, well, they might also say, look, guys, we've, we've turned up a couple of times now. We've been pasted every single time. Get, do us a favour here. And then in the race, they, they clear off. But I think Corvette's, Corvette's key to winning and the, and the one weapon that they have over everybody is the execution in the pits. Um, and it's, it's, it's great because you see the guys who are like 25 stone with it. They look like the, yes. the Michelin man's on the tires. And, you know, the, 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 the Corvette, you know, you look at like the other teams and all the all the teams are, you know, the, the mechanics are as fit as the drivers are. But mm. Corvette, no, you, if you want to have a cheeseburger, you have a cheeseburger. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I like that. That's why I'm a Corvette. I love Corvette just as much as I love yeah. Porsche. Because, yeah, you get these, these big guys like wobbling around and you get yeah. you've never seen someone change a tyre so quickly. <laughs> and it, it, it's brilliant. Um, so I love I, how, I, I was just going to say, I love how with Cor, you know, Corvette, that, that comparison you make, you, a Porsche gets wheeled into the garage, a Ferrari gets wheeled in, you get people, engineers, laptops, you kind of get this very scientific approach to making a change. Corvette, the car gets wheeled in, bonnet gets popped toolbox gets pulled up and they're like right mm. whose fingers wants to get oily but this year maybe with the car new cars a bit of well, a step this, up this is this is the brilliant the brilliant ruse that corvette have had ever since they came into le mans mm. uh, 21 years ago is that they they have this persona of being you know, the, the car gets made in a place called Bowling Green. Well, the road Corvette's made in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And <laughs> uh, the guy in there, you know, like you say, the big, they've got the big American mechanics and what have you. And But actually, it's just a disguise because the cars are built by Pratt & Miller, who are a military, you know, in, in space, aerospace company. So they're, you know, they, if, in terms of technicality, the Corvettes have always been the most sophisticated car on the grid. But you, but as you rightly say, you would never tell that. You know, you would never tell that by the bits around it. It's a very fine-oiled race team. But underneath the surface of these cars, these have got to be some of the most sophisticated racing, certainly the most sophisticated GT cars ever made. And you, I don't think it's a surprise 
that very few factory Corvettes make it into private hands. They might make it into private collections, I'm sure, but they don't get sold on to a customer team. No way. Mainly because a customer team would not have the slightest clue how to run one because it's run like a NASA spaceship. Yeah. So I think that's 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 the that's the paradox of Corvette as well. That's mm. the thing that makes them such a cool part of the mix. And they were it was su- didn't they leave a massive hole last year not being there? Yeah, it wasn't really GT Pro without having Corvette in my view. And it didn't really feel. You know, obviously, it didn't feel like to Le Mans without the fans there, but as well, not seeing yeah. two bright, shouty yellow cars flying around, <laughs> knocking the living daylights of everything European. It, it didn't have that feeling to it, and I completely echo your thoughts. So we're we're grateful to have them back, and I, I do like your um, almost warning for people who are maybe expecting the, the WEC teams to have a you know a battle between themselves for the GT Pro victory. You know, I. I, I very much agree with that because not only do you have these strong privateer teams, but also Corvette coming back and, and looking to uh, to make themselves known. Uh, and I like your uh, so unable to give pick a winner from GT Pro, but I think that's understandable. Uh, if you must well, know, ha- half and I picked the ninety two car, but I think that's because we wanted an easy option. Uh, uh, okay, so you both picked ninety two. Okay, well I. Let I'll go for the this. I was going to say the three Corvette, but that's its number and M's. The sixty-three Corvette would be my pick. Mm, Jordan Taylor, Antonio Garcia, and Nicky Katzberg. Do you know Antonio Garcia has not won it since two thousand eleven, mm. and he's uh, he's one of the best Le Mans drivers ever, in my view. He's won it. Was it three or four? I have to check my notes. You have to test me there. But I think he's three. I think. I think it was three. Yeah. So and of course one of which with Aston Martin in the Gulf Aston Martin. Yes. Um, and then he basically, because he was so good in the Aston Martin, Corvette poached him. <laughs> and that's not it wasn't not it's not really a Corvette thing to do, really. But uh, I suppose the next time they did that was with, with Nick Tandy. But uh, yeah, that, that's my pick then. Okay. If you and guys are 92, I'll go 63. Yeah, interesting that the uh, the poor sport guest goes for the Corvette. But the uh, <laughs> and, in, and, and in GTM, your pick was, I believe, the 77. You said that. Yeah, for, uh, for I, 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 I like the look, look of them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And one final question, Peter, before we uh, bring this uh, fantastic little segment to a close. What, if possible, can you name three things that get you through the Le Mans 24 hours? Because ah. we all need something, you know, this could be a food, it could be, uh, you know, something you do, toilet break, whatever, I don't know, going well, out or walking the dog, whatever it could be. What What is it that gets you through Le Mans? First thing is have Radio Le Mans available at all times. There we go. Plug. Uh, the plug's yeah, been ticked. Plug <laughs> Captain Plugwash here. Yeah, have... <laughs> Have uh, have Radio Le Mans available at all times. Um, yeah. You can, and that, of course, it's great now. You'd, you know, you you can you have it on your phone, and you take your phone anywhere, and you 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 know, with internet, it's no problem. Um, so yeah, have have uh, Radio Le Mans on at all times as your sole commentary provider. Um, second thing would be black with coffee. Yeah, coffee's right. coffee's a definite. Coffee coffee's a definite. Well, it depends what you're what sort of lemon you're wanting to have. Um mm. that's the cool thing is you can have lots of lemon. I mean to follow it as a sporting contest, yeah, you certainly coffee's coffee's the way forward. And if not, the obvious one is you know, a metric metric ton of beer is, is <laughs> what you is what you need really and and good people good people to watch it with actually one of my favorite Le Mans memories is is um 
and it, we were at a, a party down in London uh, with um, uh, my phone, fiance Lucy. It was her, uh, her best friend was had moved into a new flat. Okay. And we, we got invited down to the flat warming and it turned out to be Le Mans weekend. And, you know, if, if it's like, some, you know, you, you, I think you'll know what, I, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying here when, if you're a football fan, you never have a problem if you're going to a party saying, should we put the football on? Because everybody mm. watches football, great. Whereas I'm sitting like, boring. And, or if it's a <laughs> rugby match, or if it's a popular sport, it's, or if it's a well-known sport, tennis, yeah. rugby, football, usually not a problem. But for motor racing, it's seen as a bit geeky and, oh no, we can't sit and watch that. But very, very kindly, um, Lizzie Marlowe, there you go. Well, I'm going to tell her now that she's been on the, she's been on your show. <laughs> Lizzie Marlowe, very kindly at her flat warming party, allowed me to have Le Bon on the TV. Right. Well, she had all her friends. So I never. I, it was. I, we didn't know anybody else there, yeah. and it was brilliant because I was sitting watching it, and it was on. It was on mute, but I was watching everything that was going on. And this was two years ago, 2019, and. It was brilliant because there was a couple of very polite people who would sort of come and sit beside me, sit in the corner <laughs> and ask about it. And it was quite cool to kind of kind of chat through it and understand. And I said, you know, this person in this car, they're not a pro racing driver. They're a, mm. whatever, they're a in fund ma- investment fund manager or they're, a, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, they're the king of Austria or whatever it is. <laughs> and, and they're like, really? So they're not a pro driver and just, you know, explaining the elements of the race. So that was that was quite cool. So and and the, I did have a lot of beer uh, that particular uh, that particular. So, so point point three added to point two there. That's nice to tie. Yeah, in beverage. Yeah, beverage. Would that count as point two? So yeah, Radio Le Mans, uh coffee slash beer, whatever. The, not the two at the same time. Mm. And the third one. Oh. Well, you kind of said people to watch it with. You said kind of you know you let yeah. on from from the beer about people to watch it with. You need yeah. you need a, a pal whether they're there with you or you know you're messaging someone or yeah um, something I've done uh, during lockdown. You know, half and I have hung out over Discord while streaming. Yes, the, you know, we do that at Porsche Sport as well. There you go. See, bring twelve hour. Don't necessarily remember the last hour. Okay. Well, <laughs> if if you would like to know, it is it is routine on the uh, TRB in lap podcast to apologise at the start for falling asleep at some point during the race. So half and I have a, a dreadful issue of nodding off at a crucial point. And yes, although you might not remember the last hour for whatever reason, I don't I don't think we should disclose that. Mine was unfortunate. Red wine, far too oh, okay. much red wine. Just, I, I watched the whole Sebring Twelve Hour in the same chair, and I was. Trolley. <laughs> That's far more rock and roll. I was just looking at the back of my eyelids very intently. But, uh, anyway, Peter, thank you very much for joining uh, myself on the uh, TRB Inlap podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for your insight into the Porsche entries and, of course, uh, beyond as well. It's been fantastic to get your thoughts and hopefully we'll have you back uh, sometime soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me. So a big thanks then to Peter Mackay, uh, Porsche Sport podcast host and Radio Show Limited commentator. You'll be able to hear him uh, talking over the action at Le Mans. He will be on uh, Radio Show Limited's coverage of the race, practice and qualifying and everything in between. And of course, the team at Porsche Sport have put together their own preview for the Le Mans 24 hours. And if you want to go and Uh, check that out and have a listen and see what they have to think about the Porsche entries let's uh, let's bring the podcast to a close I think it's a nice note to 
to end on. Half uh, to conclude, to, to play us out of the Inlap podcast, can you tell me three things that get you through the Le Mans 24 hours? Because you and I, we like to stay up through the night, okay? So it doesn't matter if it's food or drink or someone on the commentary team. I'm looking at you, Jamie Campbell Water, or if it's uh, <laughs> or if it's uh, whatever the sunrise, whatever. Three things that get you through Le Mans. Go. Um, great question, and I wish you'd asked me this earlier. The so fact that the fact that I'm not top of the list is <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Yeah, you haven't even heard it yet, mate. Come on, <laughs> haven't even heard it yet. Um, one thing that that gives me a big boost well into the night is um twilight that phase yeah. of the race uh, every single 24 hour race we watch we end up taking five at least five to ten minutes often longer to just be like oh look at this <laughs> just look at this <laughs> um bit of ambient light in the sky the, the brakes are starting to glow the flames are starting to show i'm rhyming now that's just how beautiful it is <laughs> headlights getting brighter and you know there's a long night ahead of you but yeah. the feeling that gives you propels yeah. me well into the small hours of the morning uh so that's number one number two you making me a cup of tea <laughs> yeah. um, something about your cups of tea just hit different and i know there will be a point where i'm flagging at maybe three four a.m and i just do need that pick me up and I don't need it in the form of a, a huge sugary drink or something filled with caffeine. I just need a nice cup of tea. Yeah. Maybe while while there's a nice little class battle going on. That always gives me a bit of a boost. And third thing, I actually, weirdly enough, I actually don't really like sunrise endurance events. It, we always reason, get I, a bit morbid. We always get feel a bit sad about sunrise. We're like, oh, that's it now. Like, oh, it's, it's, the run, it's the run into the end now, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> In some ways, it's a welcome sight because obviously, you know, the race is long. And in many ways, recently, it's become more of a welcome sight because the headlights are so bright now that you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm actually going to be able to see what car's coming towards me before it's actually passed. Um, <laughs> the third one, I don't know what the third thing is. I think sheer delirium after about 9am um, yeah, yeah. onwards is what yeah. keeps us going. There's always an hour where everything becomes absolutely hilarious. Mm. And then we just end mm. up crashing a little bit and flagging. And then something inevitably snaps us out of it where it's like, oh, Mike's look, this battle's back on. Or oh, they've yeah. just they've just stopped on track and they've lost the lead. Or something something big yeah. happens and snaps us out of that. But which then puts us way back into into focus. We're we're back into this mode now. To to give a, an example of that point, I think when we went to Le Mans for the first time in 2017, we got up in the morning. We're having quite a giggle to ourselves on the walk up to the track, only to cast our eyes across to the nearest big TV <laughs> to see that a P2 was leading. And the the giggles and the kind of like stupid banter that had, you know, proceeded just came to a halt immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the everything got a bit more scary. <laughs> oh, that's that that's my third point. Having a little power nap. And not knowing what you're going to wake up to, yes. I, lo I love that feeling, and simultaneously hate it because mm. there's I could come back to anything. 
Yeah. Well, we had it big time, me and you had it at Spa this year, where we watched quite a lot into the night at Spa 24 hours and then had that feeling in the morning waking up being like, is it dry? Is it wet? Are the same cars that were leading the race, leading the charge when I went to sleep, even running anymore? Um, is there, has there been huge safety cars? Has it been clean, green running? Who knows? I love that feeling. So that's that's my third one, as well as the sheer delirium being being abruptly ended by something massive history changing yeah. happening so, out on track. So, so here are my three, three things. My three things are, it, one of them is a bit similar, classic. Never underestimate a good cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't matter how many monsters or Red Bulls you want to cram down your throat at Le Mans or whatever, how many espressos you try and neck in the morning, how much sugary stuff you eat in the night whilst you're trying to keep your eyes open. A solid cuppa and a bit of fresh air if you've been sat indoors watching it. Just can't be it. Can't beat it. Even like when Daytona's on, it's January and it's a bit cold. Something about, you know, peeling yourself away from the screen, make a cup of tea, maybe just crack open the back door and get a bit of cold air on your face, go back upstairs, carry on enjoying the race. That always happens. Uh, number two is... Uh, it's again it was your point but it it's the knowing that it's going on in the world at that point you know for people who can't be there and we we feel this because you know we've been to Le Mans and we love it but there's so many races we want to go to and even when you're there like knowing that the race is happening just knowing that it's going ahead you could be going to the toilet you know you could be talking to someone who's come down and told you that you need to be quiet downstairs you know it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are you could be going out to could be popping to the shop to go and buy some more supplies knowing that the race is still happening much along the lines of what you're saying and that tweet i put out during spa about knowing that it's still going on it's just like it's just brilliant i just love it a grand prix on you go to the toilet you probably miss something happening you know any other sport you probably miss something important endurance racing yeah you run the risk of missing something important but it's the fact that like even in that situation where you are on the toilet you know that the race is still happening <laughs> it sounds ridiculous but i feel no, like I, people I completely get, get it completely it's very weirdly comforting as well as being very exciting mm. and also because we look forward to, to this particular week especially with le mans it applies to um it applies to Daytona, obviously. It applies to Sebring. It applies to 24 Hours of Nürburgring, Spa, but especially Le Mans. This is like, this is the weekend I've waited for all year and it's <laughs> happening now. So I constantly feel like a child internally. Um, and so I completely get that. As ridiculous as it does sound, it is completely true. And my third and final point, and we're not going to elaborate on this or go into any detail, it's not knowing what the hell Martin Haven's going to say next. <laughs> so anyway thank you very much everyone for joining us <laughs> on this special edition of the TRB in lap podcast I would like to give a huge thanks to 
Porsche Sport and Radio Show Limited's uh, Peter Mackay for joining us. And of course, a big thank you to everyone who has listened into the podcast in the uh, uh, all the episodes so far. Congratulations if you made it this far as well. Thanks to Half for once again uh, joining me on the poddy. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic weekend, my friend, and enjoy the race. And to everyone listening, I hope you too enjoy the Le Mans 24 hours. It's going to be a fantastic race. I can just feel it. Stay locked in to TRB, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram. There's going to be a lot going on, a lot of race coverage, a lot of conversation. Turn on the post notifications. Why not on Instagram? Or, you know, maybe if you don't already, drop me that follow on Twitter because I'll be very active throughout the race. And I look forward to engaging with all of you uh, as much as I did last year in the 2020 event. Uh, I had some fantastic conversations with you guys as the race went on and I provided updates throughout the night. So I'm thoroughly looking forward to it. I hope you've enjoyed this run through of the categories. And I look forward to chatting to you guys and to half on Sunday afternoon where we can barely keep our eyes open. Uh, but from Michael Afton and myself, Tim Fulbrook, this has been the TRB In Lap podcast presented by Racing Edge. <laughs>